Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, today is an interesting podcast. I have no idea where it's going to head or lead or end, but uh, I read an article written by a friend of mine who has been a past guest on this uh, podcast, Nicole Qualtieri. Qualtieri. Nicole, why can I never say your name? Uh NKQ, I guess is what we'll just say. That's her handle out on Instagram. Uh, anyhow, Nicole is the hunting fishing editor for GearJunkie.com. And she wrote this article about uh, five things that we need to get over with regard to sports women or something like that or uh, get beyond or something like I'll pull it up here. But uh, it was five interesting issues from the perspective of women who hunt. And I read it, and then I saw how many people were sharing it online. I thought, hmm, there must be something to this, not just in my eyes, but in the eyes of others. So I instantly sent a text to Nicole and said, uh, hey, Nicole, let's do a podcast about this. Um, it's been three, four years since you've been on. Let's let's talk about this because the the reality is we are all a a product of our life experience and how we see the world and how we interpret what is being communicated and messaged is a function of the lens formed by those life experiences. And being a guy, I'm going to have a different lens just because I'm going to have different life experiences. So when I told Nicole uh, I wanted to do this, uh, she said, uh, yeah, uh, but I'd like to have a couple of my friends join me. And I said, all the better. Uh, so with her today uh, are Sarah Keller. Uh, Sarah is a writer who I've had the fortunate experience of being interviewed by her for a, a meat eater piece one time. Uh, and then a new person who I've not met before, uh, Lindsay Mulcair. Uh, Lindsay is a professional photographer and they have come to hunting. Not, so I, I a little perspective, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but Lindsay and Sarah have come up through the hunting ranks as, uh, I guess, from families that had hunting cultures. Nicole came to it uh, kind of later uh, through her own interest and in, in, uh, effort. So, I, like I said, I have no idea where the discussion is going to lead. We're going to talk about uh, Nicole's article, but not the article itself, as much as the five topics and a general discussion about where does hunting have this uh, problem, its opportunities, its possibilities uh, with regard to the group that is definitely the minority of the hunting demographic, that being women. Um, and I'm always interested to hear the hunting stories from the perspective of women. They, they open my eyes differently. They, they cause me to, they'll say certain things that cause my lifetime. I'm just traveling down the road as a guy. Uh, one of them will say something. I'm like, oh, why didn't I ever think about that before? Um, so anyhow, we're going to sit here and have a talk about it. And guess that's where it's going.
<laughs> I don't know where. But uh, I want to thank Leupold for, first of all, being such a great supporter of public lands, of conservation, of this podcast, of all the things we do, and for making such fantastic optics. Uh, go to Leupold.com, whether it's observation uh, optics like binos and spotters, or obviously they're world famous for their gold ring rifle scopes, uh, range finders, you name it, Leupold has it. And uh, we're thankful to have them. And then we have Go Hunt. Uh, GoHunt.com right now has a 30-day free trial for their Insider. Uh, we're recording this in early August. I think through August and September, that 30-day free trial is going to continue. And with that, you, you go to GoHunt.com forward slash Randy. And you're going to get a chance to use this insider service that we talk about so much. So 30 days, no cost, nothing, just give it a whirl. Uh, right now, there's some really cool strategy articles out there. And besides the draw odds that everybody's interested in, I would suggest you go read the strategy articles, uh, mostly by Brady and Trail. Those two guys are unbelievable when it comes to strategies about getting tags about opportunities you may not have known exist so go hunt.com forward slash randy and you'll get a 30-day free trial and then also while you're there check out their gear shop they have a world-class backcountry hunting gear shop and right now you can use promo code randy and when you check out you are going to get 10 percent off your purchase just type in randy and 10% off. Yeah, there you go. Save some money already. <clears throat> and then we have Orion Coolers. Uh, they want you to save some money also. So if you go to OrionCoolers.com and you buy one of these really, really amazing coolers, and when you check out, again, use promo code Randy, and you're going to save 20%. I mean, we're making you money today, folks. I mean, you're going to be able to go down to Dairy Queen with all the money we're saving you. And then last and certainly never least is Onyx Maps. Uh, we're getting ready, I believe, in a couple of days. We're going to launch our first of our new four. We did four new episodes with them this year about hands-on e-scouting. In other words, how we do it, what, what the whole strategy is for putting together the 12 videos that we did last year. Here's what it looks like when we're done. Uh, the first one launches uh, this week, I think, um, on X. <laughs> I don't know how I would apply or hunt without them. Uh, I wouldn't even want to try. And uh, they will let you save some money also. I mean, if you're going to be part of any of my podcasts, you're going to let my listeners save money. So go to uh, on X, uh, yeah, not not on X Maps, yeah, on X Maps dot com. See, we call them on X, so I always drop the maps part. They're just called on X. So I don't want to send you to on X dot com. I want to send you to on X Maps dot com. And when you buy app products, again, use promo code Randy and save yourself twenty percent. Man. I got to get some more people who want to uh, let you save some money uh, when I get them. I'll throw them in another podcast or another platform or something. But in the meantime, uh, we have three really wonderful people here who've taken time out of their personal schedules in an evening to join me for this podcast. Uh, Nicole, Sarah, 
Lindsay. Really appreciate it. Uh, as quick as I hit the button here, the audience is, uh, we're going to be live. So all the chatter, uh, it's going to be recorded. Don't say anything that you wouldn't say if you knew you were being recorded. So thanks for being here, folks. Appreciate you listening and, and tuning in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is good stuff. So when I met my my now husband, he was shocked that I owned guns. Um, it was almost a deal breaker for him. Um, and now <laughs> I think he owns more guns than I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, by Mission far. Mission accomplished. Yeah. And he's taking his hunter's ed this fall with, with my daughter um, side by side. So. How cool is that? Yeah. Huh. Well, I just like the image of him sitting in a classroom of 12 and 13 year olds. Oh yeah. He's going to freak out. It's like, <laughs> I'm really, I need a picture of it. I need film and I like just need it to be recorded. Yeah. So we jumped into this folks right in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> I am the, I, uh, I, how do I explain this without sounding like. Mm. You're surrounded by women. Well, that's going to be obvious. <laughs> But uh, Nicole wrote this article uh, that caused me to think about the, is there some weirdness? I don't know if that's the right word to call it. I'll call it weirdness about men being surprised that women hunt. Was, is that a good way to put it? I mean, I think the, however you interpret it uh, is... Is fine. I I wanted to put something out there that at least called attention to the experience that I felt that I had and that I had talked with other women. And and I didn't want to feel crazy because I think that sometimes the first thing that you feel is like, I'm experiencing, like, is there something that I'm doing? Like, is this personal? Like, but the second thing you think of is, okay, like, if it is about gender, then other women are probably experiencing it. So mm -hmm. it, it was going to other women in the industry mm -hmm. and um, saying, hey, is this something that's happened to you? And like, not only had it happened to them, it had happened to them just as often, if not more often, than it had happened to me. So um, I ran this article before. In bef Gear Junkie. In Gear you're, Junkie, You're yeah. the hunt and fish editor of Gear Junkie, right? Yeah. And is that, do I have that title? Uh -huh. right? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And I'm Nicole Qualtieri, oh, hunting and hunting uh, and fishing editor. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'll do. I've <laughs> already done the introductions later. in a different file, Nicole. But oh, you, okay. you were fashionably late. Oh, okay. <laughs> Isn't I that what it. you said when you came in? I, you were yeah, fashionably yeah, late. Absolutely. All right. But anyhow, when I reached out to you because you've been on this podcast before, uh, um, yeah, if you before I'd even killed anything. Yeah. How did you let that happen? <laughs> Well, this is the before and after version, oh, yeah, and now no, we've got two of your friends here to uh, uh, verify or, or keep you honest, because part of, <laughs> I, I don't think it's a gender thing about hunters and anglers, maybe. Well, I don't either, and that's really so. the whole point of the article, is like, if we can get past some of these silly uh, tropes and stories that are told or questions that are always asked, then... Uh -huh. You know, I actually thought about you when I was writing this because I, uh -oh. I use the, well, I use the term full, ter full participants in the outdoors, right? Mm -hmm. So you and I have had that conversation uh, many times mm -hmm. about what it is to be a participant. And my definition of that has certainly changed in the four years that I've hunted, and this will be my fifth year hunting. But um, I think, 
uh, when we feel like divided by gender or categorized by gender, then our experiences aren't necess- necessarily being recognized as just an experience. Do you know what I mean? Oh, and that's and that's I all agree. it is. Like yeah. we're like so, whether I'm in like a camp with all women or a camp with all men or hunting by myself, I'm not having an experience as a woman. I'm having an experience as a hunter in those yeah. moments. So Sarah and Lindsay are here, and they Nicole said, "Yeah, I'll be on your podcast, but they have to join me." <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, you I'm, asked me to find other women. Okay. <laughs> You're right. Is it like, do you but, know but, any other women who hunt fish? And I was like, no. Or <laughs> that's like, oh wait. So she made it sound. These are actors that I paid. Okay. Um, yeah, they're paid by f- the Green Decoys Foundation. Yeah, she found okay. me down at the co-op. Actually, I, yeah. Like, I was really? like, like, you buying look some like granola. Some, and I was buying my my vegan. Uh, yeah. I pay, I'm paying them twelve dollars an hour. Okay. And, great. Um, great for this town. Yeah. So, They're going to give me some nice vegan recipes. After uh, this. Uh, the, because you, you you didn't hesitate when I said, do you have any friends who you think would be good guests? You said, oh, yeah. Yeah. And you gave Absolutely. Me. So that, that gets me to the two of you and your backgrounds, just for our, the sake of our audience. But also, uh, Nicole talks about this uh, is it an experience that I had as a hunter or is it an experience I have as a female hunter? Um, am I saying that right? I mean, does it... Does it, it yeah, I mean, it gets it, a little convoluted, right? Because, I mean, I'm a woman, so I'm going to experience things that way. But I think that... Um, I mean, I remember having a really good conversation with Giannis and uh, Annie Racer and Brittany Brothers back in my meat eater days. Mm-hmm. And we were all telling our kind of first hunting stories after that first season um, on the Meat Eater podcast. I think it was episode 31. If anyone wants to go back and listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about hunting. MeatEater.com. Yeah, podcast sorry, Podcast number 31, um, Nicole, Giannis, and But no, it's, it was a cool conversation because, I mean, the first thing that Giannis pointed out was, well, those don't sound like women hunting. It just sounds like people hunting. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's still the same story. Because before you were fashionably late, uh, Lindsay and Sarah were talking about, and did you call it deer camp or just hunting camp? Deer camp. Yeah, we just called yeah, it deer, deer camp. camp. Deer camp. It was all women? 18. 18 women. Mm-hmm. Ages 12 to 57. 12 to 57. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can I send my video crew next year when you do that? <laughs> we are, or, we or, already or, have a... Or is it what happens in... Our deer cam stays I think we're going to film it. Lindsay and I have been talking yeah, about filming it. Yeah, we've been talking about filming it. Okay, cool. Well, But then, it might be fun to have some help. <laughs> yeah. So, Nicole, you didn't come to hunting, quote-unquote, as a mentor, lifelong person in the hunting world. No, no, I didn't. You'd be the classic adult on set. Yeah, I, um, I like to classify myself more as a first-generation hunter than, like, an adult onset hunter because I don't like sounding like um, I got a disease <laughs> so, um, or that, you know, like, and, and people are like, well, you could argue that hunting is a disease. And I'm like, you know what? Shut up. Like, I don't want to hear that. So argument. the flip so. side is for the two of you, then it's congenital. Yeah. So Sarah, tell me your 
your my, background. My hunting of, background. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm always interested yeah. to know anyone. And, and again, this isn't gender specific. This is sure. hunter to hunter. Yeah. So I grew up in the Appalachian part of Maryland where the state gets real skinny, kind of crammed between Pennsylvania and West Virginia. And my mom's family is from West Virginia. So she also, she came from this family of hunters, but didn't hunt herself. And then my dad's dad grew up in Southern Virginia and um, kind of grew up as a, a dirt farmer. And they really hunted in a subsistence way. I mean, my dad grew up eating canned squirrel and, you know, eating fish out of the town creek and... Um, <laughs> When I got into hunting in adulthood my, on my own out west, my dad would tell me stories about how Papap used to he used to squirrel hunt and Chuck Taylors because they were quiet like moccasins. And you know, I got to hear all these sort of all this family history that I I really didn't get when I was a kid. But um, but yeah, so like you know, raised on venison, learned the word trachea from watching dad process deer, <laughs> <laughs> um, like totally like in in it from the food perspective, but not, not actually really hunting myself. And then like, I think what happens with a lot of, a lot of girls who grew up in hunting families, we sort of get socialized out of it. Like before Mm -hmm. I could take hunter's ed, I was in Girl Scouts and then none of my friends were hunting. And so, and then, you know, some rough family life was maybe a little rough for a little bit. And I moved away when I was 18. And so I got back to it, um, in New Mexico actually, and my, my husband and I were, um, we weren't really eating much meat at the time. And I, I went back to my dad's and had venison and I just missed it so much. And we also were, were really into just all kinds of mountain adventure sports at the time, but it was starting to feel a little soulless to me and, you know, around about my mid twenties. And so I kind of, I kind of needed to get back to my roots, I guess. And that's, that's when we took up elk and deer hunting. And dad gave me his 264 and I still, I had it, just had it rebarreled and I still hunt with it. And we've had a bunch of successful experiences with it. So I always carry that, carry that past with me and have some of Papap's old rifles. That is cool. I wish I had some of my, some functioning old family rifles. I have one, but it doesn't work. I actually have my dad's um, 870, Remington 870 12 gauge. Wow. He killed one deer with it, so I guess maybe. Uh, but then uh-huh. it was um, a, a yearling buck, like a little button buck. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, he passed away when I was fifteen, so a long time ago. And I wish I could ask him all these stories. But uh, the gun itself is really funny because it's more of like a home protection gun. So it has like a twenty-inch <laughs> barrel on it, and then it has like a magazine that holds eight rounds. <laughs> so it's like. It's, and it's like, it's a cool, it's like a wingmaster. So I'm getting a new cool. barrel for it. It's going to be my bird gun, but yeah. Cool. So it's pretty cool to have my dad's oh, gun, even definitely. though he wasn't a hunter. Yeah. That's really cool. I also hunt with a, a family gun. Um, my grandma gifted me her 308. Oh she, man. Yeah. How cool is that? Yeah. So her grandma's gun is the first gun that I ever shot. Yeah. Yeah. And I shot my first elk with it last year. Grandma had a 308. That mm-hmm. could be a country music song. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> Grandma had a 308. I like it already. And I don't know if this is just like family folklore, but my uncle told me that it was the first 308 that was sold in Montana. And oh. I don't know if it was just of that particular, the Winchester or, or whatever, but hmm. who knows? That could totally be made up, but. But it's I like still it. working. I would yeah. expect that from Ellen. Yeah. 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 So, Lindsay, where did you, you grew up in Montana? So, then? I grew up in Montana. Uh, I'm from Helena, but my family is from Lincoln, which is a little town in the mountains, um, yeah. just on the 
kind of the edge of the scapegoat Bob Marshall in the Blackfoot corridor. Um, And I'm the only one of my generation that hunts uh, in my family. Uh, My grandmother was was the hunter um, and she taught both of her sons to hunt. And then subsequently my dad taught me when I was 12. I asked to do hunter's ed and Uh and, um, he would take me out deer hunting and, and then kind of, yeah, like Sarah says, I think you kind of get cultured out of it a little bit. Um, That's an interesting and I had a daughter, observation. I had a, a daughter when I was in my early 20s, and, and that kind of took a lot of my time and energy. Um, yeah. My mom had a son when she was 16. Yeah. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, she just turned 17. So I think she got cultured out of a lot of things and cultured into some others. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. But she had six brothers, so uh, she she probably didn't have to hunt. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you think when you said that, what went through my mind is, you know, childbearing and, and mm-hmm. raising kids and as sexist as this may sound, of very often, whether it's in the professional world, world or otherwise, the women in our society, it's... It's not sexist. It's just like a reality, right? Yeah, yeah. it is. And, and so does that. Well, and I was also a, a single mother. Um, I had a, my marriage ended kind of badly um, mm-hmm. early on. And so I was the sole provider for my daughter. And, yeah. Um, so there were other things that had to take priority. Oh, but now that sure. she's older and self-sufficient, you know, I was able to to start incorporating things that I love back into my life. So cool. hunting was kind of... And she really got to have her first hunting experience with the three of us. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. we took her to Nicole's deer camp last uh-huh. year. Um, and she was pretty uncertain about what to expect and was pretty sure that she was not interested in hunting um, and from that experience, she asked in the car on the way home if she could take Hunter's Ed. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm. I don't want to put myself in the mind of the audience or the listener, but there's probably some uh, surprise, if that's the right word, of how many. Did you say we're at your camp? You had 18 women. 18 come. women at a deer camp. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, w- it wasn't w- really like an intent, like it wasn't an intention. The whole thing really wasn't the only thing that I wanted to do. I have so many wonderful male friends that I've been able to hunt with. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just hard to make it happen with the women that I knew that hunted. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of put it out there on my Instagram and I was like, would it? And I was expecting to get like, you know, four to six people, you know, there are like a couple people that I thought. Like Sarah and I have talked about hunting together for a long time. Like Lindsay, it's a given. Um, Lindsay and I have been friends since like the first six months that I lived in Bozeman, like seven years ago. So um, I just put it out there and I had more than 50 women reach out to me. Um, Yeah. So I think like what, what that immediately said to me was, whoa, there's like, there's a dearth of experiences for women who want to do this. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's a dearth of experience for women that want to hunt. I think that there are plenty of men that are incredible partners and and, and invite women into their hunting spaces and into their hunting camps. And I don't see it as um, – I had a long talk with Leontani about this, actually. Like, uh, you know, um, I think people get nervous when they hear about, like, a bunch of women getting together. <laughs> 
<laughs> but but Why? it's not. But I don't know. He was. We were talking about silos. Um, uh, and maybe you should get nervous. I don't know. Um, but we were talking about like how things can get siloed, and it can seem like there's men in one corner and women in another corner, and people of color in another corner, and people of different sexual orientations in another corner, and um, they they you know there are all these dividing lines of identity right now competing. But I think that like what happens is um, it's just nice to be in a place of sameness sometimes. And I think that goes for men and women and mm-hmm. everyone in between. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're disconnecting from another space. I think you're just investing into um, one that's really important and doesn't really exist as much for women. I think it's um, probably... This might be a huge assumption, but I would guess that there are a lot of all men camps out there. That's not a huge assumption. <laughs> <laughs> That's driving up and down any Forest Service road right? in yeah. October and November and seeing where are the women kind of looking around like, is this like men's only thing? What's the deal? I mean, yeah. I, even though uh, some of the women in my family hunted and fished, mm-hmm. they weren't regulars at quote-unquote deer camps or, or yeah. stuff. I, I, and when Sarah said that you kind of get socialized out of it, it n- until you said that, it never dawned on mm. me. I mean, that yeah. sounds pretty ignorant. I'm old as I am. Uh, it's like, oh, I went this long and it never dawned on me. But yeah, it, it's, it's not often a, you know, a space that's run by women. That I mean, yeah. I, think the, I think what that camp signified is that there's something... Um, in hunting culture that's becoming, in women's hunting culture that's bec- that's changing and that's that we're taking more leadership roles and we're not just participating, that we're, that we're creating new spaces. And sometimes we're, you know, inviting men to them and sometimes we're not. And yeah, I mean... Uh, I wouldn't invite any men if I was you. <laughs> <laughs> I have some lovely male hunting partners. I mean, I, my favorite, but male, I mean, my favorite hunting partner is male and I mean, he's fantastic and I don't feel like he treats me any differently because I'm female, but yeah. I think that the the great thing about this hunting camp last year was that there were a few women that were kind of new to the experience. And oh, it, totally. Yeah, we yeah. had three observers. And come. it felt so, like, really... people that had never been around hunting, oh, okay. had never hunted. It felt really yeah. comfortable as a space to kind of like ask questions that might you might not ask around men because you might feel... Stupid or um, judged, oh, oh, and that's that, kind of that internalized. Because, so my wife is an astute observer of how men interact with women when they're quote unquote mentoring, mm-hmm. mansplaining, and, mansplaining. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, I didn't, I didn't know that term, but you said something about the way that we, the women something you made it the, the when you the way you said it Lindsay mm-hmm. it was as if it was the the way the woman received it instead of the way the guy dished it out my wife says yeah. I'm the worst instructor of shooting in the world yeah I think it can be different when difference. you're a partner <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah yeah all right I, I don't think know it's also maybe not only a gender thing that makes a difference but the difference in experience yeah that's, level yeah. and um I think when people come from a like a, an experience level where they've been doing something for a lo- really long time, they're pretty, you almost forget what it's like to be a learner. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, if you're, if you're a woman and you're coming, there might, there might be a good 
chance that you're coming to it as a learner and your mentors are people who are are really experienced and they might not have a lot of mentorship training and they might all happen to be men because just because of the way hunting demographics have gone over time. And, and that doesn't necessarily, that's like related to gender, but it's not necessarily only gender. Okay. Does that that make sense? It does, but it doesn't give me any excuses for my behavior. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, I have to catch myself sometimes when I'm, when I'm sort of, you know, introducing someone to a new activity and it might not just be might not be hunting it might be mountain biking but Hmm. i have to remember that that they're dealing with a lot of uncertainty and i'm making a lot of assumptions and they don't about the way i'm going to act and they have no idea what i'm i'm going to be doing and i don't know what their comfort level is and it's it's a lot of work it's a totally different it's a different style of communication too and i think like i coached sports and um road horses and uh, when i was younger and well, I still ride horses, but um, I don't coach sports anymore. When when I th- think about um, like the type of communication style you have between someone who's an expert, there's often um, a line of communication that gets missed. And I can remember like two particular trainers. One was not a particularly great writer, but he was an incredible communicator about how you could become a better writer. Like he could see and he could explain like the little nuances of what you were doing wrong to make you better in the saddle. Another writer that I knew or another trainer that I knew was a top-level trainer. I mean, people were paying hundreds of dollars to ride with him, but he couldn't tell them, like, the head from the tail of a horse. He could get on their horse and make it do incredible, magical things, and you're like, oh, this is what my horse is capable of. But then he'd get off of it, and you're back to the, you know, you're back to the same point that you were with your horse, and um, that's a frustrating thing to see. And I think it's sort of the same thing within hunting culture when you have people that have been hunting their whole lives and, you know, they're prolific in a way in the way that they've been successful. Um, It's a really hard thing for them to pass that knowledge on in a way that um, is kind or considerate or even just understanding what the holes in someone's learning might be. Um, I mean, one of the things that I learned on my first hunt that nobody knew to teach me was like when I walk up to, when I was going to walk up to my buck, like I needed to poke it or throw something at it and mm-hmm. like figure out if it was still alive. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that. And my buck was still alive and he bounded away and I wasn't ready with my gun. And, you know, it, it was a traumatic experience for me. It was a traumatic experience for the deer, but, but I learned from it. Right. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. So now when, if I take Anna hunting, mm-hmm. right. Anna is Lindsay's daughter. I've known her for seven years now. Like if I take her hunting, like it's going to be really easy for me to walk her through all those beginner steps because I had to learn them the hard way yeah. as an adult. Um, but I think a lot of people in like the lifelong hunting position, you know, they've been packed on their dad's backs from the time they were three years old. And like you get to learn a lot from observation, right? So I don't know that necessarily a lot of the things that people are learning in those like familial traditions are things that have ever been said. They're things that have been shown. Right. And I think that that's also a different type of learning. So um, yeah, I I would... I think that what Sarah is saying is um, just spot on. I, it makes sense that there are more men with experience in this world. There are, you know, um, somewhere between eight and nine men for every woman that hunts. So yeah. um, we're not necessarily at a disadvantage there, but when it comes to hunting with each other, like we certainly are. Um, we have to really go to different links to figure out how to get together and have these experiences. You know how many people are going to want to come to your deer camp after listening <laughs> to this? 
Yeah, it's already it just has to make crazy. it season long. Really? You, you, <laughs> so you're going to cap it yeah. at 20 or whatever. I don't know so. how to cap it, though, because I want people to have a space that they can come to. Yeah. You know, um, we did a pretty good job about spreading our pressure. We had girls that were elk hunting. Um, Sarah was hunting mule deer, and she brought one of our observers, Kate, along with her. Um, a lot of us, we had four or five girls from out of state. We had five different states represented. Um, two women, one woman, Cindy States. I don't know if you're familiar with Cindy at all, but she's sure involved with like, like BHA and that whole side of things. She's she's a great woman. She drove from Indiana. And then um, we had another woman, Amnesty, drive from Michigan. So, um, and then Oregon, Washington. I know Cindy. I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm yeah. so embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cindy. Like, no, shout great. out Cindy. <laughs> hey, Cindy. Sorry, Cindy. She'll definitely listen to this. Yeah. What so. up, Cindy? Sorry, yeah. Cindy. So, um, any of the three of you can answer the questions, but I'm going to ask the five questions that you brought up in the article, Nicole. And this is I'd be interesting. Like I'd be more interested to hear junkie.com. Yeah, since enough. we already have your answers. Yeah, you have here, my answers. Sarah and Lindsay get to <laughs> chime in here. The first one um, in the, the it's uh, the title is it's time we kill these five topics about sports women with the subtitle of a demographic shift is underway in hunting and fishing as more adult women pick up rods, bows, guns, and licenses. Yet as one friend puts it, the struggle for women, uh, for sports women is real. All right. That was so, Chelsea Cassens out of oh, Oregon. Okay. You might have seen her articles in the New York Times about her hunting elk. She's okay. a pretty incredible woman. I probably have. The first question or the first thing we have to get over is do you actually hunt and fish i'm, I'm saying that like some guy <laughs> who is looking down his nose like you really hunt and fish like really yeah it's, you, you should have emphasized like really instead of actually <laughs> do you really hunt and fish but anyhow i don't I, okay, I'm just going to throw the whole thing, I mm -hmm. think, because I don't know if I've ever had that question posed or that kind I think of it's industry feedback. specific. To yeah. yeah. And I'm also not super deep into the industry. So if you traveled to trade shows, I could see you getting that question all the yeah. time. Yeah, I'm sure. That's really like the, that's the big one. So I can give my answer in multiple <laughs> parts. My uh -huh. first response <laughs> is. Come look at my freezer, son. <laughs> That's the obnoxious response. Um, <laughs> um, my second response is that I've never been asked that, but I also don't work directly in the industry the way Nicole does. I don't go to the shows. I'm, you know, I'm a freelance writer. I don't. Um, I just don't. I'm adjacent, but I don't encounter that directly you, um if you've I'm, never if you've never been asked it have either of you felt like someone was questioning that with, um, without them saying it i've i've gotten maybe more specific questions more more around um you know are you actually hunting alone and mm. kind of are are those are those guys over there your group um mm. but, like out in the field yeah out in the yeah. field um but and i you know i've seen other things like a friend of mine won a rod box here at a raffle in Bozeman and it's, it's on her truck and she loves it. She was an avid angler, mm -hmm. worked at a fly shop and uh, the 
there are guys in the audience who were like, you're not actually going to use that. Give it to me. Oh, <laughs> so, no. um, 50 that, lashes laid like on that. well, yeah. as Lewis and Clark would have said. Yeah, yeah that... Uh, that instinct is there in a lot of men. And I think that's really what catches me off guard because I don't think initially, so I'll say this as someone who works in the industry definitively and has for a while now, um, you know, I didn't experience it as much in Bozeman, but once I started going to trade shows Mm -hmm. and especially once my title changed to hunt and fish editor, Mm -hmm. right? Because before it was like, Oh, I work for, well, I guess I got it when I worked for backcountry hunters and anglers too. But I think that's like a question that everyone on staff gets there um, because there are a lot of misconceptions about BHA. Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, when I was introducing myself as the hunting and fishing editor at a swath of trade shows, um, even at Outdoor Retailer or ATA, really like uh, SHOT Show was the... Uh, the bearer of all the bad news, yeah. but I mean that's kind of how shot show is in general. Right. Um, it should it could be considered a form of capital punishment. Really, if you've never been to shot show, take my advice and don't ever go. Yeah, um, and trade shows are currently the bane of my existence. I have to go to a lot of them, but um, yeah, once I say my what my title is. Um, it's almost a knee-jerk response that I get that question hmm. from people. The other response I get is, whoa, that's really cool. Tell me about it. Right. Yeah. So like you can sort of you can kind of know a lot about someone if that's like their initial response, right? Mm-hmm. So um and I would say that like I don't think that there's a lot of malintent behind that question. I think that I'm also not really like a I don't look like a shot show person. You know, I think I just dress like a normal younger person like i'm not gonna wear camo you know mm-hmm. i'm not like decked out in sitka i'm not wearing trail boots <laughs> that's your problem Nicole. i know i know it's las vegas so mm. i'm like i get to wear like clothes for warm weather in the winter time missed um, opportunities i know maybe i i mean maybe i should i should do um like a social experiment and wear camo the next time and see if people actually ask me go. that question mm-hmm. but um no, that one oh. really got under my skin after a while, and and, and it's really I hard not you. to be. It's not. It's hard not to be an asshole at some mm-hmm. point, you know. Mm-hmm. At one point, I kind of flipped out, and I was just like, "Dude, yes, like I yeah. do hunt and fish. I've been asked that question seventy times, and like you guys all need to get together and figure out what's wrong because yeah. I have nothing to do with that." I, I would no more ask <laughs> a woman if do you really hunt or fish <laughs> any more than I'd ask a guy. Do you know what I think it is? I I've thought about it a lot especially since I wrote this article and have had this conversation with multiple people, I think that the hunting industry has a bad track record of using women that don't hunt and fish as models. And, no. And these, you know they do. No. Randy, <laughs> come on. So they I think wrote that, the like, book on how to right? do that right after so the I think NFL. That, I think that there was a lot of objectification of women. I think there were a lot of women going to those creatures, especially, that didn't hunt and fish. I think that there's a conception that like women are tokens in this industry. And that's what I write to in the article. And mm-hmm. I, I think that every woman that, no, I know that every woman that I have worked with in this industry is someone that has bought a license, has bought a tag, has gone out and damn well tried mm-hmm. to do something. Um, and a lot of them are some of the most passionate hunters and anglers that I know. And um, I think that uh, I did run this by a lot of women in the industry. 
Um, I sent it to eight women before mm-hmm. I decided to publish it because I said, I want to be like, am I on the mark? Because if I wasn't on the mark, I, I would have been happy to take anything in that article out, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that uh, on the level, and that's part of the reason I wanted Lindsay and Sarah here is I think that like we each have like a really different connection to hunting. Mm-hmm. But I mean, for me, it's professional and it's, um, yeah, it's it's concerning that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. So. No, we, we, we need to save that tangent for later once we get through these questions. Oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. I'd be interested in... <laughs> no, I, I know. You you brought up something that it's hard for a guy to ask the question without it sounding bad. So since you opened the door, we'll leave it slightly cracked until we get through that. Well, yeah, because I think there's a great flip side to that, too, that you brought up. What is that, is Lindsay? The, the other response that you get is like, oh, that's so cool. Oh, Tell yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. To me, that's... A more, the majority of that is when I go to the um, outdoor recreation trade shows, though, because mm-hmm. people aren't expecting hunting and fishing to be there, and if they're if they are there, they're not expecting hunting and fishing to look like me. So I think that like, um, it's really like I'm actually going to a women's leadership conference at the end of the month that I'm the first person from the sporting world to be invited. So it's essentially like 16 women go into a hut and tell your ride, and they're all in different leadership capacities in the outdoor rec world. And um, we basically just jam out on, like, what's going on in the industry. Um, You know, what do we have to learn from each other? How can we support each other? And, um, you know, what can we take away to do better things within the industry? So I think that, like, Mm. that is going to be a pretty unique opportunity to talk to a group of women that um, are in no way connected to what (laughs) they do on a daily basis. (laughs) So this one... The next question is, why do women cry when they hunt, which should have a subtitle as if it really matters? <laughs> uh, Randy, we, we just need to write these together. Uh, send them my way. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm like, uh, that's why it's Randy Newberg unfiltered. If, oh. if I say it or write it. I know. And if somebody's upset, they've mistaken me for someone who cares about their hurt feelings. But uh, <laughs> So... Is that a common question that women get? Do you cry when you hunt or why do you cry when you hunt? I will say this is based on a very small sample size that the number of tears in households I've lived in came from females more than it did males most of the time. So why is why would... Oh, I cry all the time. Why would I expect <laughs> yeah. that to be any different in the hunting space? than? I absolutely or, cried when I killed my elk last year yeah and part yeah. of it is like that for me is that letdown of adrenaline huh? you know it's yeah. just this it comes out and part of it is you know you did just take a life and mm-hmm. that's a really big thing and I think it's okay to feel that and however you feel that for yourself whether you're a man or a woman whether you cry or you don't cry um, I think we should all be allowed to to experience it in the way that feels genuine yeah, to the experience and to ourselves. Yeah. That's why for me it was a, why does it matter? Yeah. But it must if you, if women are getting that question of the why. Why implies... I think I've heard women uh, talked about in a lot of different like media outlets of... Uh, one of which I worked for. <laughs> they, they talked a lot about women crying. Um, but I think that like what they missed was that a lot of the women that they were hunting with were first-time hunters. Mm-hmm. So I think that like 
I think it's really natural for a first time hunter to cry, oh, whether they're yeah. a man or a woman, um, uh-huh. or you know, or a kiddo. Uh, so that was one of them. Um, and then I just felt like it, the conversation that I'd been hearing on it was pretty one sided. Um, and I feel like uh, like I pulled from Tom McGuin's like my favorite essay from Tom McGuin, which is the heart of the game. Um, which I read like 10 years ago before I even thought about getting into hunting and it changed my perspective on hunting on like a whole level, but that's another story. Um, but he says, uh, hunting is I'm serious <laughs> and you better oh, think of it that way. And I, and I think that, um, I, I agree with that. Um, I think that, uh, you know, we all should have room to cry. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't cry when I killed my 2017 deer, actually. That was the first year I killed by myself. And I was just thankful that it hadn't been so traumatic as my 2016 deer, um, I think, and that it had been a really quick, swift death. And I got to walk over and put my hands on it and I smiled and I was like, thank you for, you know, for what I'm going to take from this. Um, but I mean, last year I just lost it after I, I don't, and I don't know, I mean, it can be differing life circumstances of the time too. So we, um, I'm glad that I had that experience where I didn't cry. I think that that like helped me rethink that question because it's mm. like, okay, I can take a life and I can still treat it seriously and with respect, but like crying doesn't necessarily have to be a part of it. Mm. I, uh, this is another one of those, those questions where I, I don't understand why, why it's a question. I think this is similar to a lot of what, what you said. It's like, well, what, why wouldn't it be okay to cry mm-hmm. when you hunt or why? why don't you cry when you hunt guy who's asking this? Um, But, and I mean, that's just like a very, very personal thing and no one should have to feel like they're really hiding their emotions. Um, I've personally never been asked this. I've also never, I've never, um, I I actually feel a little bit like a cold hearted person because (laughs) I don't, um, I've just never cried after a kill and I, I actually wondered if there's something wrong with me. Wow. Yeah, there definitely is. Yeah. Um, but I have, um, I mean, I've cried for other reasons while hunting. But not, oh, that um, brings up something for me. Not, not frequently. And I think I probably made other people cry while hunting. So just the first two questions give me the feeling that most everything in the hunting space is being asked, expected, or otherwise conveyed through the lens of the male. Yeah. And that women almost feel like, okay, how do I have to find a place Mm. to, uh, how does my piece of the puzzle fit within whatever expectation or context or questioning or whatever it is? It's just natural, right? Because it's 90% men. I have a friend. I'm sorry. No, go for it. I just interrupted you. No. Um, but it's kind of related. I have a friend who said that he doesn't like to hunt with women because they complain more than men. And that was like, Whoa. first of all, screw <laughs> Secondly, why is it not okay for me to like, if I'm cold, express that I'm cold? Like, I don't understand why that's... I hunt with men that complain so much that I like don't want to... You know, I've, I've hunted with... I don't know. That's that's so interesting. I just think it's a human experience that gets. That's what this whole article about is about. It's like it's a human experience that's being unnecessarily divided in some areas. Right. You know. Yeah. And also, like maybe he took somebody hunting that didn't want to go. 
I'm pretty sure I'm the only woman he's hunted with. So I was like, we probably need to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. You're going to have to tell me who knows. Oh, you know. Uh, you know who it is. <laughs> so this one is one that I hope that the hunting world someday gets over it. Shrink it and pink it. Yes. Mm. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some states have went so far, and I think Montana even had a bill. I don't know what happened to Wyoming to did make for sure. Pink, a qualified or a legal color of camouflage, and for me, it's like whatever. I, I you know, I hunt a lot of states where you don't even have to wear uh, a high visibility color of orange or whatever it is, and but there is no doubt that there's this trend in the hunting space of pink it. Sarah wrote an amazing it. article about this, so I'm going to defer to you because oh, you're, the, you're the expert. All right. Well, so it's funny. when I can't remember if your story came out before or after mine, but I, I had I to. Know. I read yours, and I was like, oh, no, am I part of the problem? Which I, <laughs> I had to ask <laughs> myself the whole time I was writing that story. If I was, It was a great story. If I was, um, no, you're not part if of I the was problem. being part of the, the problem on the blaze pink issue by drawing yet more attention to it. But my, <laughs> the, the point in, in writing that, that story um, for meat eater was that I, I saw that these bills are a trend and I, I would never, I would never discourage or disparage anyone from making a personal right. hunting color choice if they're given that opportunity and it's, it's legal, but um, it seemed a little bit like a misguided way to try to, encourage women to participate and I wanted to highlight I wanted to use that as a jumping off point to highlight some of the the um, really effective ways to bring women into hunting like the becoming an outdoors woman program that most or maybe all even all states have at this point or a lot of states have and um, and so it was it was sort of more uh, let's let's shift this discussion or let's let's encourage our politicians that are wanting to bring this to the table as an option to maybe look at some other things that might be harder to implement, but more effective. Yeah. Um, and also it's not really, it hasn't really been tested as much as our range, which is, was super interesting to me. It was, it's not, um, it's not as evidence-based as one of the things I learned. So why are we doing it? Yeah. Um, because it made someone feel good. Maybe. I think that like, Possibly. I feel like in a world where politicians aren't getting anything done, they're like, we can do this. <laughs> yeah, this is something. Uh, I had to make it last pink. season in a bright pink ski jacket. Well, nice. down jacket, but I didn't have anything else. Yeah. And I didn't feel it necessary to go out and buy this whole mm. new line of technical gear if I didn't know that I was even going to be what if I what if I'm a terrible hunter and I can't ever kill anything like then it seems kind of pointless so I, love I have some great photos of myself in my pink jacket and I know we're bright pink leggings to hunting camp yeah that's with, cool with your grandmother's rifle yep my grandmother's rifle and awesome. for my when it was really cold I have my grandmother's like buffalo plaid wool Mm -hmm. It's like super retro. Her yeah, actual I mean, jacket from hunting. Yeah. Yeah. That's the flip side of it is like, I really wanted to be careful not to like degrade things yes. that are associated with femininity. Yeah. When I was writing that story. Yeah. Yeah. I also run into the problem, just speaking personally, um, I'm five foot 10. And so the shrink it 
thing yeah. doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. So I generally find myself buying men's hunting clothing anyway. Mm. So I'm a little bit outside of the conversation on that side. But I mean, I get to test a lot of crazy gear um, that I would um, thank you to all the companies that send me gear. You know that I appreciate it. But um, I. I tend to be like kind of a minimalist, so it's a really weird world for me to be in. Um, I'm totally fine hunting in yoga pants and sneakers and gaiters, uh. and you know I don't care. Um, but um, I'm lucky enough to be in a job where I don't have to, so I have a lot of really nice gear. And I think that like there are companies doing really incredible things for women. Um, I think as far as like it's just easy to call out Sitka; they do an incredible job. Mm-hmm. Um, First Light is expanding their women's line. Um, I got some of their new gear. It looks like it's going to be great. Um, Proas has done a great job for a long time. They kind of have hit a little bit of a different market. Um, and I think that like what you see is that um, the industry has made up for itself like in leaps and bounds um, in the past five to ten years. And so like Shrink It and Pink It isn't really like something that exists when it comes to gear unless you're in like the big box stores and I think that like but I mean it's the same thing if you're in a big box store anywhere uh, you know you'll find some really weird you know rosé all day type t-shirts for women (laughs) Um, and you know uh, we use our buying power in one place or another and uh, personally I'm uh, I I mean I own things that are pink I'm fine with being a colorful person Uh, and I'd hunt in pink um, if someone sent me a pink vest to wear that was legal to hunt with, you I know, I would hunt pink with you, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do it. Yeah, I mean, why not? I'm like, I think that. Uh, so your point of bringing it up was more of a. It's kind of a patronizing kind of. Yeah, well, I just think that there, it's a, it's a talking point that's always there. Yeah. What do you think of pink? You know. Hmm. What do you think of turquoise? Yeah, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote an article called Turquoise is the New Pink oh, because really? the outdoor rec world has like just shifted everything that used to be pink to turquoise. Mm. And um, I received three turquoise shoes in a row um, from companies <laughs> and I was like, okay, <laughs> guys, come on. So th- <laughs> this next one has to do with your deer camp. We didn't include you in We're Sorry, Not Sorry. Is it about your deer camp? Uh, it's about a lot of things. Okay. Yeah. I think but, about deer camp, camps in general or trips in general. Or mm-hmm. Well, and I think that even, um, you know, I'll just, I mean, I'll be totally frank. Uh, I wrote that part after listening to Jess Johnson on Ben O'Brien's podcast. Jess Johnson works for the Wyoming Wildlife mm-hmm. um, Federation and is right. a close friend of mine. And um, he, it seemed like he felt backed in a corner sort of on an accidental note that he'd had 50 plus podcasts and hadn't had any women on like the entire time. And he made it a point to say, you know, I didn't do that, but I'm not sorry. <laughs> and I, I um, really took pause at that. Um, it felt like uh, he put himself into a defensive position that he didn't need to put himself into. Um, and it just made me think about you know, the majority of this hunting media world that we're in that we don't see women in or, um, you know, like, uh, I don't think that anyone should have to do either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that just bringing people to the table is like your next move, you know, like 
nobody's sitting here, you know, like we're not going to go through all of your podcasts and be like, Randy, you need to have more women on your podcast. You do know what I mean? Like nobody's mad. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and you know, like nobody is up in arms here. I think the reality is that like, uh, you know, it's cool to have a voice. Um, I mean, Sarah and I are both lucky to work in this world where like we get to write and um, people (laughs) have to listen to our opinions in some way or another at some (laughs) point um, or they choose to at least. And we're all welcome to agree and disagree with each other. But I think at the end of the day, um, if, you know, if women are being included more in serious conversations, then um, it's all for the better, you know? So um, yeah, I, I, I found that to be a little bit disarming and I was and just sort of like, oh, wait, what is this about? You know, um, but I, I've also had men, I think, say the same thing. You know, I, I've had like my buddies go on a hunting camp and they're like, oh, you know, it was just a boy's trip. And I was like, yeah, go, you know, yeah. like I'm I'm not hurt by the fact that you guys want to spend time together. Um, you know, we can hunt another day. That's not a big deal. Well, this is a different different activity, but I go through the same thing with my husband and his friends. They're they're really big backcountry skiers and they go on backcountry ski trips and you know, he'll he'll invite me or he won't and I'm not as good of a skier as them by a landslide. And so for me to go on that trip changes the trip. Um if we were all going hunting, we're all on the same playing field. And so it doesn't change the trip because we're all, our skill level is, is pretty, pretty even. Um, so there's no reason why we can't all go together, but there might be a little bit of that going on in terms of men thinking that maybe a woman is not as skilled of a hunter or she's not, she has, doesn't have as much experience. And so she might change the trip. We have to teach her or we have to do, you know, we have to go slower or we have to listen to her complain or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so I think that that is maybe a conversation that, that needs to be had between, you know, maybe friend groups or, or in the industry in general is, you know, there is a level playing field. It's maybe I'm not quite as fast as you you know, getting up, up the hill, but that's okay. But you, don't have, you don't have to wait for me. I'll get there at my own pace. Yeah. And we can all have a great time and a great experience. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me on a, at least on a personal level, maybe, maybe a number of years ago, I I'm, might've gotten the sense that I wasn't included as much as I wanted to be, but it was more about, um, going into new spaces, like, like joining archery league and, and not knowing anyone and maybe being the only woman in the room and not, you know, kind of knowing that people were going out for beers after. And maybe, maybe I wasn't, but that was like the first year I did it. And then I got to know people. And then I, you know, I, I solved this problem actually by getting my friends involved in these activities or finding, finding peers and planning my own, own trips Mm. and, being getting to be the one who in, invites people, not mm-hmm. the one who's invited, and I think that's, um, like, that's I feel really lucky to be in that place where I just can take ownership over it, and I don't have to wait for an invitation. Um, but I I still sometimes feel like oh maybe I have to prove that I'm like fit enough or that I'm that I can hack it or that I'm self sufficient. But 
at it's least hard. with that new burden people. of proof can also be really stressful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, um, I don't, so I've been careful, like, who I've gone hunting with. Yeah. You know? But, um, I feel like really lucky are. to have the, the hunting partners that I do. I mean, not, not to brag, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Please go ahead. I mean, uh, my friend Dave, I'm going to call him out, Dave Klepner, um, Orange Glow. He has been a really great mentor and friend to me and, he doesn't, he's never once made me feel like I'm inadequate or different because I'm female, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, he is constantly telling me, he's like, I like to hunt with you because you're quiet and you, you know, go slow and you're, and you're looking and, and you're doing these things that sometimes the men that he takes on trips don't so much. And so there's different strengths that I bring to the table to our hunting trips that, mm-hmm. that he appreciates and I appreciate him and... I get invited on hunts that I decline because I know I'm going to be the boat anchor. I mean, there's some actual mountain animals who... Yeah, oh, totally. They, they invite me. I'm like, why would you invite a overweight accountant who eats Dairy Queen to go on this hunt? And I politely say thanks, but no thanks. And I think for them, it's like, well, we asked him. So, and we knew he'd say no. <laughs> so I don't know that that's necessarily gender, but there probably is some of that gender. Just It's nice to have the option to say no. It is nice to have yeah. the option to say no. My and I think and that I, that like makes you feel like you're included, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. My wife has a standing invitation to go with me anytime, any place, anywhere that I go. Mm-hmm. Um, but... She often says, you know what, unless it's fishing, I'm not going. (laughs) (laughs) But she knows, right? And I think that that's like, that's the communicative piece, right? And I think that like, we can all get better. Like I'm, and like the reality is, is that like, I also do believe in those spaces for men and for women and for everybody in between. I I just think that like, um, I think that there's times to be together and there's, you know, it's okay to also have those moments where you're not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, would my wife have more fun with her and her sister going doing something than her and I going elk hunting where she sits down on a rock and says, I'm not going any further. <laughs> Go get the truck. <laughs> she always uses that as her example of how much fun she had elk hunting with me. So given the option, uh, I suspect... At least in my household, it's pretty again a very small sample size. Uh, there's places where she would rather she she likes having the open invitation, but yeah, yeah, she's like, it's important. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass. But that's uh, still an inclusion, you know. Yeah, yeah. Huntress versus hunter. Even though Miriam says a huntress is a woman who hunts. Yeah. What's your bone to pick with that? Uh. I've been asked that question a billion times. I, mean, I don't know if you guys, I feel like a lot of this is industry specific, but like, it I just is. feel like I don't get out enough. That's yeah, the thing I feel like right now. I'm talking Do either of you call yourself a huntress? No. No. Okay. There, there are people in this, if you want to call it industry of hunting media that introduce themselves as a huntress. And don't you forget it. <laughs> yeah. The, I think it's an, it's, an, it's like, it's a, it's a definitive ownership of their femininity being mm-hmm. a part of their experience in hunting to me. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, mean, I know that like there are a lot of other 
definitions out there, but that's the one that I'm comfortable. I guess like for me, it's like, I don't want to besmirch another woman and say that she's doing something for reasons that I'm like imposing on her, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, It's not for me personally, but I've been on a couple other podcasts and I don't think I've ever been on a podcast where it didn't come up. And I'm like, really? Like um, I'm even working on something right now that like, where, what didn't come up? Uh, the word huntress. Oh. And the question around it. Mm. I, if it's the the correct protocol, I apologize to all those I've offended for not using the term, but I just say hunter and angler referring to the... I think that that's... Yeah. Yeah. It, it is what it is, right? I think that uh, I did stand-up comedy for four years in Denver. Oh, really? I did. I did yeah. not know that. Yes, in my 20s. And hmm. um, it was... Back then, it was a comedian versus comedian, and I we always thought that was like so silly. Um, like none of us calling ourselves a comedian, um, but it was kind of just a running joke between every. I mean, there are plenty of running jokes among the standing stand up comedian uh, community down there. But um, yeah, I don't know why why create you know something that's separate where. But do you think that in our bigger society, especially with the internet, with social media, we try to find those communities where we feel more alike and less, I guess, different? I think by nature we're like tribal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of why our politics are is weird as they've become is I want to just hang out with people who I think are like me, think like me, act like me. And I, I find myself just by accident or maybe unintentional falling into those trends. And I'm like, oh, I got to go over here. If you saw my bookmarks, what I do my morning reading, it's you can't pin me to be anything. Like, <laughs> I'm here to exercise my mind every morning for an hour. I want to hear some of these way different I ideas feel the same and, way. Yeah. and perspectives. This, is, uh, and, this topic's one of the things that I love about being part of the hunting community, actually, is that I feel like it's one of the last bastions of our society where you can enter a space where you have these deeply held values with other people and you might have completely different political opinions Mm -hmm. Uh and you can still share something that's just so so important in your lives. And there, we just, it's so hard to do that now. And I really, and and I say, I say that Sarah, because so much of my daily life is consumed by this community of Mm -hmm. hunting that I almost don't get to see what the rest of the world looks like. So when you say the rest of our lives or our world is so politicized, I sense that somewhat, but I, Maybe I purposefully avoid it. Maybe I stay within our little campfire yeah. here so I don't have to deal with that. But Yeah, I don't I mean, I think uh identity is an important topic right now. And I think that like it's kind of hijacked a lot of conversations in ways that um I don't know that was ever intended by by um different communities. But I, I think that like when we talk about something like Huntress versus Hunter. I mean, really, it's just a like a defining word. I mean, if you say, oh, you know, like let's say a name like Aaron, right, which is like a non-gendered name, Aaron is a huntress, like you're going to take away, like not only is she a hunter, but she's a woman from that sentence. But if you say Aaron is a hunter, like Aaron could be a man or a woman, but like they're just a hunter. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, as a writer, I like keeping things simple. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and like using the word hunter is a lot. I mean, the one part that I get like a little bit like ah, like what's the word sportsman? Like sportsmen mm-hmm. and sportswomen. I know. Yeah, because like I when we when we want to incorporate That's... hunters and anglers, you know, are you always saying hunters and anglers and differentiating? I mean, I'm both, right? Mm. Sometimes, not really, but you know. I, do you think <laughs> at times we get too worked up about this stuff? Too we 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 worry too much about how people are going to perceive us and they really don't perceive us as having any bias. It's just, that's that's how he or she is or that's how we communicate or, I mean, we we could get into some serious minutia in this stuff that I wonder, does it, does it matter? But then you also get to that place of, yeah, it really does. Certain things of this really does matter. I think it matters when it comes to what your values are. Because I think that, like, if we all share values of kindness and respect and an attempt at understanding, even if we can't completely understand someone, then, like, we can all meet in the middle anywhere. Like, I think that if we're sharing communal values, we're able to understand each other better or at least, like, have everyone be in the room without a fight. But I think that, like, when those values are you know, being overcome by whatever other needs that people are feeling. I mean, I'm dating someone right now who's like a pretty staunch conservative, but like he's also, he shares the same values as me. So like we can be in a room together and not fight about politics, you know? Um, so I think that it's like, it's sort of interesting to like be um, in this time and place where the internet takes away a lot of your moral capacity for understanding because you're looking at a screen. You're not looking at Lindsay. You know, I'm not looking at Randy when I'm talking to him. I'm looking at a screen with a Mm -hmm. icon. You know, I think that 99% of the time, if you put two people that are fighting on the internet in a room together, it's not going to be a terrible situation. No, it's interesting that you say that, Tara, that this is a, I don't know if safe space is the right word, but I'm glad to hear that. I've been looking for all the optimisms of <laughs> of hunting lately, and I've been finding a lot of them. Nice. Uh, Shane Mahoney. Uh, Conservation Santa. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> uh, he and I were uh, together in Park City for dinner and a couple other things, and he said, man, it just seems like talking about this stuff, we can get so drawn into the negatives and it's, uh, and maybe it's just a function of our society or whatever. And then I said, well, Shane, listen to what you presented today. You talked about the fact that we share and every culture in the world admires people who share. Well, who shares more than hunting and fishing? Everyone in this pl- on this planet that is worth talking to has a great love for wild things. They may not choose to hunt them or fish them, but they still love them. And so I rattled off all these points. And so Sarah just added another point of optimism to my future about hunting. Glad so. I can Aww. bring some of that. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm right. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. I, I hope you are also. One of the things I often tell people is that I think hunting helped me in so many places in my life that I don't 
I, I didn't realize until I started getting a little older and having more experiences in, and for me being a CPA in business life, uh, hunting was such a great teacher. And I, I had no idea that, Oh, I'm going to take on this task that I can only control about 2% of the elements. I'm going to fail nine out of 10 times, maybe 19 out of 20 times, but I'm going to still keep doing it and keep doing it. So, when you go into the business world, it's like, well, I can do that. And if it doesn't work, well, I'll do it a different way. And if, you know, if these variables are there, well, I'll figure something out. And so I don't know, do either of you have things about hunting that have really become good lessons for life? Yeah. Um, hopefully I don't go down a dark path. Here, no, but let's go. <laughs> we, we can go Get anywhere dark, you want, I, Lindsay. I, I do think... Um, Given uh, events of recent days, um, one thing that was really sticks out for me is just the appreciation of life that hunting has given me mm-hmm. and how precious and, and short and, um, you know, that we can impact a lot of things by our actions. And I think that to, to walk up to an animal and, and see the life drain out of its eyes is, is something that you know, you, you can't get that anywhere else. And it gives you this, this really, really deep appreciation for how fragile life is. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I don't think you, you can't get that anywhere else. And I think it's missing from a lot of our society. And yeah. No, I, I would agree. I, that's when one of you were talking about, uh, the, you know, you cry. Uh, first time I shot a deer, here I am with my dad and all the old mentors wearing their macking off, you know, and I kind of had to step around the other side of the pine tree there because I was not ready for the emotional reconciliation that came with watching this deer's eyes get that bluish green tinge mm-hmm. to crazy. it. crazy, yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, if this is what this is all about, I I think I'm I'm gonna eat chicken. Yeah, this might not be for me. <laughs> I don't know why it was so different to do that than to go to Uncle Marvin's. My my dad's brother had all these chickens, and I had no problem taking care of them. But I don't think I had to look at it, and it wasn't this larger animal, and I, it just didn't have the full effect it was a, a ugly chicken that had been pecking at me every day and birds are aliens okay maybe that was it but i, ha- I had that same also feeling and, and even dinosaurs. to this day i i get grief a lot of times on our video stuff because i always thank the animal and I get you get bl- grief for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, send, them, send them to me. Yeah. We'll have my dad would give those people a dressing down. That's oh, really? Sure. Yeah. Oh, my, yeah. My dad taught I mean, me that, too. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that's, see, here I'm, I'm among friends here today. I can see that. But oh, my gosh, Randy. For me, We need to have a conversation with these people. Yeah, it's, it is this just the gravity of what you're saying, Lindsay. This is a life that yeah. is no longer here. And I did that. And, yeah. I made That's the conscious decision that you're the one. And, mm-hmm. and if I can at least say thanks and use every bit of it to the degree that I'm capable. Mm-hmm. Huh, I say thank you. And I tell the deer, like, I say, thank you. You're going to feed my, my, me, my friends, my family. Like your life didn't end in vain. And like, that's something that I say every single time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, 
Um, even when I'm bird hunting at the end of the day, like, it's like, thank you. Like I'm going to use as much of, you, of your body as is possible to nourish. And I, and I think that like, uh, that connection, I think you've heard of like the stages of hunting, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I think as adults coming to hunting, um, we kind of skip a lot of those stages. You know, I never went through a stage where I was bloodthirsty and ready to kill everything, but I've definitely mm. been around other hunting friends that are. Yeah. And um, I, and like, I, I honor that with them too. Right. I mean, I think that we all have our learning curves. Um, but for me, like Lindsay was saying, you know, like I had to experience some pretty, like the loss of my father when I was young. And it's like mortality has always been something that has been a part of my mind and a part of my anxieties and my worries. And hunting has allowed me to process all of that. Um, it's been an understanding that, uh, you know, in death, um, life still keeps giving. Yeah. And I think that that's something that whenever I'm eating an animal that I killed and even in animals that I don't kill at this point, like I'm saying, thank you. Because like, if it's a burger at a restaurant, like there's still a life attached to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I don't know. I think uh, it it is serious. It is necessary to understand that like we're a part of the system, and I I think that like it's good for us spiritually to be grateful in those mm-hmm. moments. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think I mean I think we. I am still trying to learn to have gratitude on a daily basis in my life, but hunting is something that teaches deep lessons about that. And maybe that's why one of the other reasons I love hunting season so much is because it's, it gets, it gets me into all of those little habits that kind of put me back in touch with what I feel like is real and really important in life on a regular basis. And, um, yeah, like turning the phone off. Yeah. (laughs) Like being in a wild place and uh, like understanding animal behavior and yeah. And thinking about the things I actually care about, like migrations on large landscapes and breeding behavior and not what's going on on my phone. (laughs) Um, But yeah. Sitting like dazed out in front of my laptop. Like how do I write another thousand words? Yeah. I don't know. And that's like, oh, no, go ahead. I think, like related to that, it's taught me so much patience because that's, that's like the one lesson I have to learn that steals success from me when I'm hunting. And then I, you know, I have to take that into the rest of my life too. And discipline, the fact that habits add up. Yeah. But I think another thing too, is that, um, it teaches me that I'm more capable than I give Mm -hmm. myself credit for. And that's, that's really important for me to remember because I'm really yeah you went on a badass elk hunt mm-hmm. yeah and you brought out your meat yeah and I cried again on that hunt because <laughs> this is related <laughs> I took a bad shot and I blew out um, a front quarter a front mm-hmm. shoulder and I was really upset because I had to leave that meat and mm-hmm. so I can't I couldn't honor you know using that whole animal um, and that that was really upsetting to me. Um, and then recently, I cried about that hunt again <laughs> because <laughs> our freezer blew out. Oh, and no. we had to throw away about forty pounds of meat, and it was traumatizing. I think anyone who hunts eventually has the freezer mm-hmm. failure problem. Yeah. So I have a little nightlight 
in the same plug as my freezer. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm out of town for a week, yeah, it might happen. But every night when I walk in, uh, after I park the car, I look over to make sure that the little nightlight's still on. Because I had that same thing happen. Is that, that just pisses you oh, off. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's, it's devastating. Horrible. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, I never want to experience Lindsay that called again. me and it was like one of those phone calls that you, like, you dread receiving. Yeah. <laughs> it was like something terrible happened. I was like, what's wrong? <laughs> uh, so I got to ask if you're from Lincoln, Montana. I am. Yeah. Yes. No, I am yeah. knowing you. Are. Okay. Uh, Cecil Garland. Yep. Did you know Cecil? I, I knew Cecil not well, um, but I know his daughter. Becky. Um, Becky. Yeah. yeah. He and she and my my dad went to high school together. Oh, okay. Good friends. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. Becky is one of uh, our CPA clients. Oh, great. And, uh, well, I can say that now because I'm no longer a CPA client, but she's really more of a friend than she yeah. is anything. She's wonderful. Um, and we're doing a film. Uh, I called Becky. I'm like, hey, you know your dad in that scapegoat wilderness thing? He's an untold hero. Yeah. Uh, we need to do a story about that. So is her grandmother, though. Well, is your grandma a, involved in to that? To a smaller extent, yeah. to a smaller yeah, extent, yeah. She was, but yeah, advocate. she was involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really. Yeah, and but to be fair, there was a large community effort to make make that happen. And Cecil, mm-hmm. I would say, was kind of the the forerunner for mm-hmm. that. But um, it was a there was a very big grassroots effort yeah. for the scapegoat, and I think that that's it's a really great success story on what can happen yeah. if you're. If you're willing to, to put in the effort. The first citizens initiated mm-hmm. wilderness area in yeah, the entire it's wilderness system. I didn't even know that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. Oh, you need to go and read Cecil's testimony to Congress when he went back there. Okay. It's, I have it. I'll, really? I'll send it to you. It's, it's really compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you think of the context of the time and... Let's face it, at the time, it wasn't real popular to say, hey, let's quit putting roads in here. Let's not log this. Let's not put resorts and stuff. Let's make this elk and deer and grizzly habitat. Mm -hmm. And when you're the guy who runs the little hardware store in Lincoln, Montana, that sells to all these guys who are going to make money by building roads, and that takes a serious stiff spine to say, I'm going to do that anyhow. So... So, uh Ellen owned Lambkin Restaurant, right? Well, her father built Lambkin Restaurant and then Lambkin's Bar and Restaurant. And yeah. then um, there's a hotel. There's a, I don't know if you've been there, but mm-hmm. there's a big two-story log hotel. And he built that and was the proprietor of that for his lifetime. Um, so then she took it over. Um, they sold the bar and restaurant, but she ran the hotel. Yeah. Um, and then actually sold it to my other grandparents. Um Oh, funny. I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, I think anyone who travels Montana needs to go to Lincoln, not to see Ted Kaczynski's yeah. little cabin in the woods, <laughs> no. yeah. but to go to Garland's and Lambkin's and all the other cool little places. And when you get out of Lincoln, oh, ever been to Trixie's? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Trixie's is a legend. <laughs> How far is that from Lincoln? Um, 30, 40 miles. Yeah. yeah to Avando. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm. Man, we we should. This podcast should be sponsored by Montana Tourism. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Lincoln. So, well, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's an it's an amazing area to me. Um, to hear my grandma's stories, you know, 
packing into the the scapegoat and the bob, and then you you find all these other families like the Garlands, and um, uh, there were actually a lot of women that were really really involved in. Um, there were women run outfitting businesses. Um, you know, it just. I don't, it's a cool area and it's, it remains cool. Um, in Ovando, you know, the organization that I work for, the Blackfoot Challenge, um, are doing great things for conservation and, and hunting. And um, there's just a lot of great things going on up there and, and there's a ton of wilderness and yeah. to explore. And It's just badass country. Yeah, yeah it really yeah. is. If anyone ever gets a chance, go to the scapegoat, the Bob, all the stuff, Rocky Mountain front, all from Lincoln North. Yeah really cool it's stuff incredible. but the, we're we're telling we're in the process right now in fact tomorrow we're floating the river do you know jim posowitz yeah okay so jim the the yellowstone river was going to have a dam on it mm-hmm. down at livingston it would have flooded it way up into the paradise valley and so we're floating the yellowstone with him tomorrow we've been we're a year and a half into the film that we're doing called The Dam That Never Was. Oh, cool. And uh, Jim is who turned me on to the, the scapegoat story. Oh, cool. 20-some years ago. And I'm reading the name. I'm like, I'm going to ask Becky if she knows this guy. <laughs> the same last name. And so I asked oh, Becky. Funny. She's like, well, yeah, my dad. Went, oh, <laughs> open mouth insert butt here. Uh, but there's so many cool stories about landscapes and conservation and hunting connects me to those in a way that if I didn't hunt, I don't think I would know these stories or they, if I did hear them, I don't know that they'd have the depth and meaning to me Mm -hmm. that they do now. And so we're, we're doing a whole series of them. Uh, The dam that never was will be the first one. And then we're doing a bunch more that are smaller five to eight minute stories. And the common thread on all of them is that Conservation is never easy, as the scapegoat mm-hmm. certainly shows. Uh, it's always uncomfortable, like the Allensburg Dam shows. Uh, Jim and his fellow FWP employees got reallocated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess that's the former way of saying, we're going to fire you. Yeah. Um, and it's always inconvenient. Yeah. If, yeah. if we're only going to do important conservation work when it's convenient... Well, we all have great, big, long, busy to-do lists and lives and families and commitments. So I guess we're not going to do any conservation if we only do it when it's convenient. Well, no, and I think um, that story, like the crux of what I'm doing these days is like, how do we tell the story to a broader audience? Because Mm -hmm. I think within the hunting community, we're really good at telling the story. And I think that like it's become, you know, it's something that we're all like emotionally and physically and I like to argue spiritually connected to. Um, and I think that, you know, before I hunted, um, I was an avid backpacker. I did 150 miles on the Continental Divide Trail by myself um, and did a lot of hiking. And that was sort of my introduction into the outdoors. Um, and it was all like I was a total beginner and a total idiot and had no idea what I was doing for the most part. But um, I also had no idea what was underneath my feet, you know, um, like to walk through the Beaverhead Deer Lodge National Forest and not even understand like what that heritage is. 
to understand, like even just on a general level, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I grew up in Colorado and you'd see the brown national forest signs, but like you just saw them on the way to the ski hill. So like, I think that they're, it's almost crazy to me that um, this heritage of ours is outside of the public consciousness so deeply that it's taken for granted and completely misunderstood. Mm. So um, it's really easy for a lot of the uh, anti-public land rhetoric to like to spread sure. because like people don't have a basis or a knowledge of history or a knowledge of why these things are there. You know, like maybe I got two paragraphs of um, the Theodore Roosevelt, you know, midnight forest story in like a college history class, but you know that was after, you know, uh, I'd been through to three other classes and was just yeah. trying to memorize stuff for a test. So, Sarah, growing up in Maryland, when you moved out west mm-hmm. and all this public land and all this cool conservation stuff, was it... Because I, I had that feeling when I moved from northern Minnesota, yeah. even though we had a lot of public land, but maybe there was in Maryland, but I don't think of Maryland as a public land place. It's really not. We had patches where I grew up, and I grew up right across from a state park, so I had a taste of it. And then the the state forest where dad would cut wood and used to hunt and and then the CNO Canal is a national historic park. So I knew I had a, I had a taste of what it was like to have kind of a long trail system and to have some conserved land. But I and and also um, I learned how to backpack in the Dolly Sods Wilderness in West Virginia, and that was a you know a bigger introduced me to what a bigger landscape was like. And once I you know, once I kind of got that in my system, I wanted more. And so that's, I mean, that public land is why I moved west when I was 18. Really? Yeah, cool. absolutely. And just <laughs> wanting more, wanting more space. And yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't, but it's, it's funny. It's the reason I, I moved west, but I don't think I started to see it as the conservation issue that I do now until I started hunting. Yeah. And that, you know, like, like you were saying about your, your project you're working on now that, I mean, that's another important thing I've learned from hunting is that it's just completely, you know, even as someone who started out with an ecology background, it's complete, hunting's completely changed my view of conservation and um, kind of given me the, a kick in the butt to be more involved too. From hunting. Yeah. You, you think hunting provides that motivation or kick in the butt more so than just, okay, I got my degree in biology or I'm... It's, it's, uh, you know, I think it's different for everyone. It's a different, um, it just feels, it feels different to me. It feels more visceral. I have more, you know, I have more on the line because it's what, it's what I eat. Yeah. And yeah. it's, and, you know, like Lindsay was saying, it's a, because it's a matter of life and death, I feel like we're, um, we're engaged on this, this deeper level. I mean, not to take anything away from the people that are doing great conservation work that's, you know, not related to a hunting motivation. But, um, I, I mean, I think there's something really powerful about sort of knowing that you are part of a very long tradition that's integral to human history and wanting to keep that alive for the next generation, knowing that, um, you know, we have something really unique in the North American model and that it's important to be stewards of that going forward. And I, there's not, there's no other framework like that for any other recreational group. Hmm. And I mean, I think that's what the type of work Nicole's doing, trying to bring that, you know, bring hunting and hunting ethic to different audiences is so, so important. 
Well, for me, I, because it, it gets back to food. For me, hunting has always been, it started with food. It's always about food, even though, yeah, I love the adventure. I love going and doing other things. But from the time I was five years old and my dad walks in the house and plops this white tail down on the kitchen table and we're going to make this into food. Well, my eyeball to eyeball level as a five-year-old is this deer with its tongue sticking out and some blood dripping out of its <laughs> nose and its eyes already that bluish green color. Mm-hmm. And at first, I'm, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> and over the course of a few hours and a few deer, it's like, well, this is how we eat. This mm-hmm. is, and it wasn't a true subsistence lifestyle, but it became very obvious to me that the land and its productivity is where I get my favorite thing to eat. I, <laughs> one of my fondest moments in my parenting career was when my son decided he liked deer heart as much as I did when oh, I was a kid. I'd like thumping my chest like, that's my boy. Right I got there. to share deer heart with my nephew yeah? for the first time when he's, he's three. Uh-huh. And um, I brought, after my hunt last year, um, I hunted out in eastern Montana, and the first place I went was my—it makes me want to cry, actually. <laughs> like, to be able to bring it over to my sister's house and share it with my sister and my family, and um, I live, like, a mile away from them right now, so, yeah. like, being able to be close to them has been really important in light of a, a lot of other things that have been going on with my family, but uh, Charlie, um, we cooked up that deer heart, and everyone was so reluctant reluctant to try it and he was just coming back for more and coming back for more and coming back for more and it's like um and the first time that he came into my apartment he was just walking around and he was just like pointing at my deer and he's like oh auntie coley i like your antlers and he's just like (laughs) sauntering around and like you know asking me about my bows and so like it's really exciting to have like this prospect of you know a young person that i'm going to be able to like really take with me and yeah. have and his dad's never hunted before and um my brother-in-law um just in the last year he like wrote me a long text message and he's like I have a really important question to ask you and I don't really know like you're, you're probably gonna say no and like it was all these weird text messages but then he's like I just I really want to go hunting with you and I was like oh yeah like come on <laughs> you know and it, you like thought it was gonna be a like a big thing and I'm like no like like absolutely come you know so um it's cool to see that i think that like that idea of venison diplomacy is is a real thing Uh, i I agree to me that's why it's if someone is asking me about where this passion for public lands and conservation comes from i use the old analogy of well a farmer cares about his field Mm -hmm. yeah well I, i care about the place that my my food comes from where pretty much my entire culture, history, whatever you want to say of me, my family, and the communities I belong to mm-hmm. have come from. It's all attached to that land. And so it's, for me, it's it, hunting has provided a connection to all that that I don't, I don't know, maybe I could have got it somewhere else. But well, the, and the closer you are to something, the more you are able to care about it. And I don't think you can get any closer than, you know, your hands in a body. In a body. It's really true. If you step step back from that and we realize that there there is a, a 
a really large portion of the population, the majority of the population that doesn't have that connection or even close to it. For the so, first time in human history. Yeah. Really. And so how do you, um, how do you have that conversation and how do you talk about that and say, this is important uh, without, you know, scaring people with imagery of, you know. Do, do you think women are better storytellers about the hunting experience than men? No, I don't. No. I think that no. there's the, I think no. there are some conditioned stories among like the younger male community where there's like a lot of machismo tied to hunting. Yeah. And I think that like, um, same I think that's story... when they're skiing, same when they're yeah, mountain yeah. biking, yeah. same when they're fishing. It's the big T word. I yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, I think it's easy to point fingers and talk about grip and grins and all that kind of good stuff. Um, but, um, you know, there's also a, a lot of content out there that's really heartful and thoughtful. You know, I don't think that it's as one-sided as it even felt maybe when I was first getting into it. And that could also just be like the changing nature of social media. Right. So, um, I don't know. That's what I, I have I was to just say. Curious because most of the storytellers, if, if you believe that we're using media, whatever form of media, to tell the story of hunting and conservation, it is as male-dominated as the act of hunting itself. I would say probably even more so. There's a larger percentage of the quote-unquote messengers who are male than there are actual hunters who are male. I think that's a dis... Yeah, I would say that's yeah. largely disproportionate. I think... Um you know, and Sarah, you're welcome to jump in too. But with Lindsay and I were, we've been talking about this for a while. Like there, um, you know, people will send me videos of like a woman fishing or a woman hunting, but it's an all-male crew. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And it's an all-male production team and an all-male editing team. So then it's like, we don't really know what stories women would tell. And so like one thing that we were talking about um, was like really, we both have nice cameras and, um, we can document, you know, probably as well as some of the more beginning <laughs> documentary people out there. Well, it's not that we, it's not just that we have nice cameras. It's that we have, I mean, I am a professional photographer. Yeah, you're, and you're a professional storyteller. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we've been talking about how, what, how would we tell the stories if it yeah. was up to us? And, and, um, we've been talking about approaching that and. I'd be so fascinated to watch how you told the story. I think it would be really really fun yeah. to do. And, and I think that we have like all these little avenues to explore, whether it's our deer camp, um, you know, whether it's like going out. Um, I killed my deer last year by myself on public land. Mm -hmm. um, I killed my deer the year before that um, by myself in the backcountry and packed it out in my good old mystery ranch backpack that I've had, you know, since before I hunted. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that like there are women out there doing things sarah has killed an archery mule deer solo right yes yeah that that's happens. The, yeah that's the story that, I, that i'm just making sure i'm not messing it up i didn't I, not fake news yeah not fake news no you did that um you know so i think there are like all these women having different experiences out there but like uh, for me like um i've been approached by different friends and different groups to ask to film me when I hunt. And at this point I've said no. And it's just because uh, it's such, 
honestly, like it's hard for me to think about like kill like since I killed my past two deer alone, like it's something that's become like very like personal mm-hmm. to me. So like how do I tell that story without like breaking my kind of bond and promise sure. to myself to like make that a, an experience where like I'm disconnected and you know, not touching technology, you know, and like, do I want to be on film doing something mm. like that? I, I don't know. Um, and that's like a, like, but then I get to see people, you know, like you telling the story and doing it in a way that's um, helpful. Right. Hopefully, but mm-hmm. no, you probably. Know, you know, come on. Well, um, I, I, the reason I, I asked that is we were all at the 2% for concert. Yeah. Were mm-hmm. we all that? Yep. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. oh, yeah. You showed, you showed up fashionably late again. <laughs> um, but there was a preview of the Wyoming Migration Initiative. And a person from Wyoming was producing the film. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her name. Is it Anna? Might be, but I have it written they, down somewhere. She she followed this mule deer, uh, and just in the whatever two three minute teaser clip, it just seemed like this is a completely different story. It felt so, I don't know, honest and almost um, a little bit more vulnerable than. And maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's the key. Maybe that's a thing too. Is that as women, we're allowed to feel that, and, and maybe sometimes it kind of goes back to that. Why do you cry? Mm-hmm. Because we can. Yeah, I'm totally okay being vulnerable yeah. all the time. Yeah. So the the fact that in a two or three minute teaser, it struck me that this is a completely different lens that someone is going to tell a conservation and maybe hunting story. I don't even care if it's a hunting story; it's a conservation story. I want to see it. Yeah. I'm like, when is this going to be out? So whatever the three of you are thinking about telling stories and how you plan to do it, I hope you do without the confines of what, oh, well, let's get enough views or Yeah, yeah. Whatever. No, I mean, and that was like, that was like the point of Deer Camp anyway, is that I think there are also like a lot of really manufactured spaces for women, which I think is good. What, um, you what know do you that, mean by manufacturing Like they're like a, like a non-profit or, you know, a space where you're going to learn. Like like the Becoming an Outdoors Women pro, like program, it's a manufactured space for women to come okay. and learn. Not in a bad way. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, Sorry. I, the context of manufactured yeah, in no, my world I don't is know. usually that artificial was the wrong or word. forced. Or, okay. No, no, no. I, I guess stru- structured is probably okay. more what I was saying. So like when, when I wanted to have a camp, I was like, I want to have a casual place that's like, you know, it's not sponsored by, mm-hmm. you know, a boot company. <laughs> yeah. Just like, sure. yeah, like, and people don't have to come and like sit through a two hour seminar yeah. on, you know, how to take apart a deer. It's like, let's just come and bullshit and, um, you know, bring BYOB. We had an mm-hmm. amazing selection of wine and whiskey and we ate really well. We and great we, food. And it, we laughed our freaking faces off and, and we stayed up late and we got up early and I mean... And we put meat on the table at the end mm-hmm. of the day. So I think that, um, and, you know, put in a lot of hours on the ground and it was public land DIY, um, BMA hunting, the one mm-hmm. deer that we were able BMA, to kill. BMA, block management yeah. area. So not everyone is listening yeah, from sorry. Montana, Nicole. So. Dang it. But, all right. But, but yeah. Um, and we actually, the Lindsay got us some private land access and that's where one of our gals was able to fill her tag. But it was it was hard hunting and it was crazy weather and 
gale winds and snow what and rain. What time of year was it? Is it, it was the first week of November. Okay. We were up in the crazies. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it was really fun. So I have a friend that we, we have these conversations a lot and um, he likes to play devil's advocate all the time. Um, but he argues that it's almost easier to get into hunting as a woman because there are these spaces that are like tailor-made. And I don't know if that's true. And I, yeah, you know, I don't I, have the, I, I the would same disagree. experiences that he has, but. I would disagree because how, what's the likelihood of one of your friends, say you're, you moved to Bozeman, you're going to college. What's the likelihood that you would have encountered someone and said, Hey, I'm going hunting this weekend. You want to come with? Mm-hmm. Pretty darn slim. Now you look at the number of guys at MSU or any college in the Rockies who might get that invite. It's probably a pretty good percentage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, don't I, know, just I think that if they're example, beginners, though, I think that it might be hard. I think being a beginner is hard, especially like once you've sort of grown out of childhood. Mm-hmm. Like to be like, I don't know anything about this, and I'm going to go do it. Is like, it's a kick to your ego a little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know. Um, and I think that especially if you're around a lot of experienced hunters, like I can see. I mean, I've watched guys, you know, say that they have experience that they didn't have, mm-hmm. right? And kind of like puff out their oh, yeah. chests and like do that whole thing. We've all seen it. So I think that like, uh, I know what he's saying. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's like a like a legitimate comparison. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, do, I can't understand that it's hard for adults to get into hunting. In the grand scheme of things, neither one of us are in that space because he grew up with hunting he grew up with a dad mm. that hunts and so he's never had to come yeah. into it as a beginner and i haven't either yeah. um a, a little bit more because i put it down and picked it back up but um it's hard for either one of us to speak to that but it was just a an interesting point that he made that i wasn't sure i agreed with but i he, wanted to respect it it seems like it just speaks to a need for more educational opportunities for adult Just hunters of general. all genders. Yeah, and absolutely. I think maybe maybe he's seeing like, oh, there are these spaces, f- you know, for female hunters that are new, but mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, where, where's the, the structured opportunity for, for everybody, yeah. for everyone. And right. if your only opportunity as a, as a male is to go to be invited to a hunting camp with your friends and you're the only one who doesn't know anything and you're coming in and and you don't want to admit that you don't know because you don't want to look, you know, silly or whatever, um, then you might be less likely to to pick it up. Being a beginner is being vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like, we forget that. And men you know? are not good at being vulnerable. We, we, we lose a lot of really? sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, but I got to ask, when he, uh, uh, and I don't want to get, I don't want to cause any marital strife here, but I've been wanting to ask this question since you told me you taught your husband to hunt or brought him into hunting. Am I, am, am I saying that? How, how would we say that? I would not take credit for bringing him in. I okay. think that um, he started being interested because he made friends that hunted. And so he, he wanted to know what that experience was like. However, I will say that he and I hunted primarily together since he started. Okay. What's been the fun, the the funniest or most revealing lesson that's come from that experience? Oh, 
I don't I don't want to get you in any trouble here, but we, we always have some marriage advice on the podcast, so uh, Um you know <laughs> do it. I'm sorry, I should have given you that. Tell advance. the story. I don't know. <laughs> I can't think to anything that would speak to like marital problems or, or but I would say and I, I've told him this and I so I hope he is okay with me saying this, but he has a real problem slowing down and approaching mm-hmm. it from this space yeah. of, you know, being present and, and really looking for being intentional. Yeah. He, and Nicole knows this. Um, he is a very point A to point B yeah. person. The, the journey that's, is not the destination. The guys. destination is the destination. And yeah. so he is moving so fast through this landscape and he's missing things and he's, which serves him really well as a skier and like mm-hmm. all these, yeah. All yeah. Those other areas. Um, Ski patrol, that kind of but stuff. But he is having to try to step away from that and reteach himself. And he's, from an outside observer perspective, I would say he's struggling with uh-huh. that. Um, but it's also been great to watch him figure it out. Yeah. And um, we there was one experience last year where we were hunting um, and we came upon a doe and we were not, we were hunting for elk, but he he was like, I'm just going to see if I can stalk, stalk her and, and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And so he took it as this uh, opportunity to learn. And it was really great to watch him figure it out. Mm-hmm. And, oh. I, and I look forward to doing that with my daughter too and letting her yeah. explore that space and, and see what it means to be blend into the landscape, yeah. so to speak. Well, guys aren't really good at saying, oh, I've never done that before. No. We, we have way too much ego. To park our ego requires a really big parking lot. <laughs> yeah, and the older a guy gets to about age 40, that's really hard. And then when you get in your 40s, you're like, what does it matter? Okay, I don't know how to golf. Someone teach me. Yeah. Or I don't know how to fly fish. And I live in Bozeman, Montana. Will you show me the difference between a map spinner and a royal wolf? That's like... Eventually, guys get there, but I think women are on the opposite end of the spectrum to you. Like really? the majority of the women that I know are like that are like badass hunters would never tell you. You know, I'm not saying there aren't women out there that do, and like good for them. Like, like tell your truth. Yeah. But um, I would say that like uh, the majority of women I know will you know undercut themselves on either their experience and be like, oh well, you know, I've only been doing this for 10 years, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, only Only a decade. All right. So I think that women, um, are really easy at, well, and I'll say this is the one thing about deer camp that when we were kind of breaking things down afterwards and I had some conversations with some of my friends who primarily hunt with their partners or their husbands who are more experienced hunters Mm -hmm. was that, um, it was the first time they have ever been able to lead a hunt, you know? Hmm. So even if they'd been hunting for six or seven years at that point, it was the first time that they like took it into their own hands and were able to make the decisions and realize they were capable of making those decisions, not only capable, but, but informed. And so I think that like, that's another thing that those spaces do for women is allow them to gain confidence in being a leader and being someone who can take the reins. And um, I would say that, you know, compared to the hunts that I've been on with, um, you know, some other people, it's a very collaborative experience. You know, it's um, it's not competitive in any way. It's, 
you know, um, and I think that, you know, everyone was coming back to say like how much fun that they had. It wasn't like the sort of like silent stoic, uh, thing. It was a collaboration and, um, and we had a lot of really close calls, you know, mm. even in that space that was like, you know, hunting a little bit differently, but I think, you know, we're also culturally communal and mm. in, in a lot of ways. And like, we've learned to lean on each other and, um, I don't know. I, I played team sports, so I was always leaning on women from the time that I was small. So, like, that's a space that's really easy for me to be in. We're not mm. expected to be islands. No. No, and I think that, like, like hmm. there is there is a level of, like, being a man when you think of, like, the old school roles of provider and, uh, you know, um, being really independent and not being vulnerable. And, um, yeah, it's just... There's like there's such an effort to I think I don't know maybe you can help me with this but like just disseminating um, like gender and what it means to be who we are but like I think there are also like some truths to our experiences around gender that mm -hmm. are important to recognize you yeah. know yeah yeah I think uh, it's funny because my experiences as a growing up with sports were totally different and so I didn't learn a lot of that and I I learned how to be like a bro like a lady bro. And it's uh. not, and like I did martial, I did like solo sports. I did like martial arts and hockey, like co-ed hockey in middle school. And so I had to like tough it out with the guys and I had to like learn masculinity. And I think when I started, um, I think as I've gotten older, I've, I've realized I can actually unlearn that. And it's also really harmful to bring that to mentoring other women. And it's, it's really like exclusionary to have that kind of, Attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so if you leave your camp, does anyone go solo? Like this? If people I'm, want I'm, to. No. But I don't but, think they do that. Just in general. So does someone say, you know, this morning I'm going to drive this trailhead. I'm going to go hunt all by myself in your camp. Did, did that happen? No. Okay. Because no. I would say half the guys would say, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want someone. I'm going here if I don't get back for two days you know then come look for me I did get Would feedback be. from some woman that I invited that they didn't think that it was the right experience for them to uh, go be with a bunch of women um, you know um, so I think that that was sort of interesting right yeah, um, and I'll say like I primarily hunt alone um, at mm. least I have the past couple of years um, and I really enjoy it it's like it's kind of like the one place that I can like truly really decompress and like feel really present um, and I, yeah, there were a lot of women that were like, oh, that sounds horrible. Just like being in camp with a bunch of other women. <laughs> um, and it, there were a lot of women that came that I think had that preconceived notion mm. too. And I was one of those women. Yeah. Really? It's like, oh, yeah. I was oh, like, okay. that sounds terrible. I can't imagine. The, what, what coaxed you into going then? Uh, curiosity, I think. Okay. And the opportunity to take Anna, my daughter, um, and expose her to that. And, um, I wanted to approach it as an observer. Um, and so I brought my camera and photographed um, quite a bit of it. Um, We're also grateful that you did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So these images are yours then? Yeah. Some of those are mine. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah the yeah, images in the article. Credit. There we yeah. go. Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, maybe the slogan for next year should be hanging out with other women is actually fun or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Wait, is there is there some notion that hanging out with I, other women wouldn't be fun? Well, I, there I mean, can be. 
yeah. Oh, really? Oh, I think there's like the, the there are like those of us. I've always been able to like walk a good line between being like the guy's gal and the gal's gal. Like, um, I'm totally a girly and I love hanging out with my girlfriends and um, I have that side of me. But like, um, I mean, on Wednesday, I'm leaving to go llama packing in Yellowstone for four days with eight guys. So, you know, I I also have to be able to hold my own there. But it's also because I've always had guy friends, you know, from my time of being a tomboy when I was, you know, four or five years old and, and on up. So, I, but I think that there are a lot of women that kind of get siloed in one or the other, and they're like a gal's gal or a guy's gal. Yeah. And I think the guy's gals, uh, there are a lot of us in hunting. Um, I'll make that observation on my own. <laughs> <laughs> like, there are a lot of women that, you know, have gotten into hunting because, like, they've primarily hung out with men. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, the idea of coming into a women's camp is like, oh my God, like, it's going to be catty or dramatic or you know like it's going to be like exclusive or you know I'm going to be excluded because I'm not the kind of woman you know um that should be in a place like that Uh and we really ran the spectrum of like of gals gals guys gals and Mm -hmm. everything in between you know Mm. but there were women that like once we like at the end of every day um we opened up the floor and everybody got a chance to speak, um, which is, you know, 18 people. You're going to be there for a while, but yeah. we were there anyway. Uh, so everyone had the platform and, you know, there were multiple people that said, you know, I came all this way and I was really nervous and I came to hang out with a bunch of strangers. And Oh, so a lot of you didn't know each other. Yeah. 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 Oh. I, um, I, I knew maybe like... Four or five people total. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so out of eighteen, I probably I knew more, but but there were people that were complete strangers to me coming. Hmm. So that was like a yeah. So like Cindy drove Cindy and Amnesty drove from Indiana and Michigan without knowing a single soul at camp. Wow. Yeah. So I, I guess know. that that's probably the thing that I should lead in with. <laughs> that, well, we should have talked about women. that at the beginning. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's so that, a, that takes a lot of courage. I don't care if you're who, who you are to go and say, hey, I'm going to go to this place with a bunch of women bunch with of, guns in the woods. <laughs> well, that, a bunch, I was going to say a bunch of hunters I don't even know, but now you want to equate it to women with guns in the woods. All right. You said it, Nicole, not me. Like, do, you even tr- do you trust these people? Yeah. 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 are these people? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That makes it even more interesting. I know. It's weird. You really should document this. Yeah, that's I, the plan this be, year. I think it'd be a I cool actually story. got um I just had someone reach out who's a documentary photographer from LA who wants to use us for her senior thesis for grad school. And, oh cool. Um and she's been documenting hunters in a lot of different spaces, but has had a really hard time finding women to document. So mm-hmm. um she's gonna be coming out from LA. Are there any women who have hunting podcasts? I, I don't have enough time to consume other media content. So I did I for a hot second. I actually did like a three-part series on our deer camp, but I'm so mm. strapped for time, like yeah. with everything that I've been doing. That Rachel Attila, I think, had one. I don't know if she still has it. No, she did like four episodes. Oh, really? Okay. And then there was a podcast called The Hunting Wife hmm. for a while, hmm. which I think was a play on something. Because I, I know that she was a hunter. Yeah. She came to some of the BHA events, but I don't know if she's still doing it. Okay. But um, I have a potential offer to do a podcast for 
a different nonprofit, but I don't know if that's going to come to fruition. So we'll see. Hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Hey, what makes me think of it? Have you ever been to the uh, shooting training of the group called Shoots Like a Girl? No. Karen. She's the most unbelievable instructor. I, so I met her six or seven years ago when she was just starting. And her and her husband told me the story of what they're trying to do. And it was about this bringing the firearm and archery training experience from a woman's perspective. It, it's eye-opening. Yeah, hmm. Every guy who... Every guy should go to Karen's class. And she has this trailer that goes to all these trade shows, to Chacho and others, and you oh, go in there. And, and they will train you in firearm basics, archery basics. The teaching skills are so far off the chart compared to any guy has the talent to do. And so I told Karen, you know, I'm going to have to send my wife here because you got to break her of all the bad habits she learned <laughs> from me. Um, but uh, she's one of the people I think of in the in the hunting space that really is embraced. You know what? Yeah, I'm going to call it Shoots Like a Girl. And I asked her, how did you come up with the name? And Karen, if you're listening and I say this story wrong, uh, you owe me a podcast appearance, <laughs> so you'll get a chance to correct it. But someone said something to her about, she was somewhere and someone said, oh, shoots like a girl. Well, what they don't know is Karen is in the army. She's, she's dialed. She, <laughs> you know, kind of how you were saying how some women let it just be understated. Yeah. She's the master of understatement. Yeah. And uh, so she said, you know what? I'm just going to embrace this and I'm going to call it shoots like a girl. I love and, it. And uh, it, it yeah, the, even the archery part. You go in there and you see the training and the and the instruction techniques are way, way different. The patience, the the understanding. It's like, no, guys could never do this. And Karen's like, yeah, guys could never do this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just how we're wired. I, I don't know, but... Uh, I just think it goes see. back to that idea of like that kind of ingrained ability to just do something mm-hmm. that is natural. You know, I think that like, like men get to learn, like learn by doing. And a lot of, I feel like men are pretty kinesthetic learners, like hands on, you know, like for me, I can get a book and like kind of pull things apart and like do things, you know, like I like those, like, I like those intricate details. I always have, but, uh, that's gotta be a female thing. Cause I hate it. Men never read owner's manual. I don't know why they do <laughs> I go to Ace Hardware. I'm like, I want that floor model. I'll pay $50 extra if I don't have to put that <laughs> stupid thing together because that requires reading a manual. But, you know, I, the reason I say that is I, I hope that what we see is women feeling that there's the space and the interest to hear the way that they're going to tell the stories. It's going to be different stories, but they're going to be important stories. And I... I would love to see him do it. I'd be a consumer of that kind of media more than another, 
old gray-haired fart like me saying, Cool, you know, maybe we'll lean on you a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So we can do some help. I'm like, yeah. I feel like I got yeah. the green light from Randy. Newberg I know. Here. Look yeah, at this. You do. I, I, <laughs> We're I, just going to, you'll just be like a um, special thanks to Randy Newberg. Uh, like, <laughs> or or maybe it'll be in the form of a lawsuit of Randy, we listened to you. That was bad. As <laughs> Our attorney will be in touch with you. Well, I think this is like, um, it's just awesome to have these gals here because uh, Lindsay and I will like talk about stuff like this. And then like, um, I don't know, Sarah, Sarah and I have been connected for a long time. And then to be able to have hunted last year together was like really special. And like, Mm -hmm. um, it was just really personal and awesome. So like to actually say it out loud that we're doing it now, Mm -hmm. I think we're put on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, Do do you feel that there needs to be some validity or some validation to the idea or is is it just time? No, I think that like, if we like, we're just like, we're speaking it into being on a public podcast. Okay. (laughs) Some motivation to get it off the ground. Yeah. 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 It's cool to hear that. that, If anybody has any project ideas out there in the the universe. Yeah. (laughs) Hit us up. <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I just, I firmly believe in that. And, and uh, again, my, I might see the lens differently because, or my lens through which I see it could be different because my parents got divorced. I lived in a single mother, female-driven household for quite a few years before my mom got remarried, and you know for a woman to lead and take command and to do whatever it's like to me like my mom's pretty damn good at that i hope i'm as good as she is someday i feel that way about my mom and i had very influential and strong grandmothers so i i'm always seeking these perspectives and to me they don't strike me as strange or weird or out of place it's just where are these people? When are we going to hear them? I'm looking around. When are we going to hear these stories? When, when, are, when are the platforms going to be available to them? Yeah. And I, I do think it's way easier for a guy to say, oh, I'm going to go start a hunting podcast or I'm going oh, yeah. mm-hmm. to go start a, a whatever. Just because of the, the bias, if, whether intentional or unintentional, the reality of how the demographic unfolds, it, it creates this... Yeah. Weird, yeah. Weirdness or whatever that. I don't know if it's weirdness. I just think that it's just the demographics at play, you know? I mean, I think that it would be like that in, you know, so. any other genre where like there's a, a majority, like the majority is going to have more of a voice. Yeah. You know? No, I, I, I agree with that. I, but I, I think we're past the point of maturity in hunting media that. It's well past the time where we need more stories from from people like the three of you who gather up with 18 women and you know, <laughs> go to your own hunting camp. They're, they're, I could see a reality TV series. They could call in your husbands or your significant <laughs> other show. You know what's going on. Oh, we have like a separate wall tent where I'm like, right. and then Lindsay <laughs> yeah, there you got go. into the way. Yeah. I wasn't able to take the shot. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I think, man, I did just speaking as you know, someone who produces media, it, the more uh, variety and the more perspectives that come to it, I think the better hunting and conservation is going to be and 
Yeah. I would strongly encourage you to act upon your or urge your your thoughts of maybe doing it. Yeah. But. No, it's been in it's been in question for a while, and I think I'd say we've that been becomes it around for like two years. Well, I think maybe? the the hardest part is. Um, like I really want to go into that experience and have like a fully vested experience. And I think that like, um, I was with, um, Brett saying on a, on a Sitka, um, shoot last year, we were doing a waterfall thing down in Kansas. And he was like, you know, like my mentor told me you can either be the photographer and cinematographer, or you can be the participant. Right. And it's really hard to like, like if you're doing one, like, and, or trying to do both your, half-assing, right. you know? And I think that like we had that conversation mm-hmm. even when you were shooting, but you're like, I wish that I would have gone all in, but like you were also like yeah. participating. I didn't photograph as much as I wanted to, but, but that was because I was also hunting. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, you can't do both. Right. You have to choose one or the other. So then like so, if we're filming so that camp. Bring some videographers yeah, and then direct them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. We'll have to think about it. Right. It's hard. Now, this is a casting call for well, any videographers yeah. who want to. <laughs> I'm inviting them women. to your. Well, for sure, women. You don't want guys showing up there messing up your experience. No, and a guy's going to film it the way a guy would see it. Do you guys he, think that it would be like the same amount of like what we felt on that hunt if we were documented? That's a tough one because I, I've it's the same issue you have with your hunting being so personal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, personally, I think I'd be, I'd be okay with it and I'm getting more comfortable with the idea of sharing and documentations, but I think with a group that size and with that many, with that many people who are uncertain to begin with, I think you would lose maybe some amount of vulnerability. I I don't see how you could introduce a camera into that, at least with, with filming. We did have, yeah. I mean, we recorded for that's the podcast true. and, and I was up in everybody's face. So that's true. Camera. Yeah. I think it's, I you, think you did a podcast there. Yeah. I recorded three different episodes on that. Really? Um, Where do I camp. find them? Um, I need to like re-up my Libsyn, but I'll send them to you when I do. All right. It was under the unpaved. So I, my little podcast was called the unpaved podcast uh-huh. and I did seven episodes. So um, Lindsay and I did. One or two episodes. I think we did two episodes. We did yeah. two episodes talking about just about her grandma and the stories about her grandma's scapegoat. Mm-hmm. I did. Um, so I put a recorder in the middle of our circle and recorded a bunch of our stories. Um, and then I went back and edited like four hours down hmm. into like a 50 minute podcast. Um, and then I did some sort of like verite recording, like kind of on the road um there was like one point where i was like we're not going to get anything and then people are going to give us because we're an all women's deer camp that didn't fill a tag i had that anxiety for sure really at one point yeah just and because then, there, you thought there was some expectation absolutely really? i know that i would have gotten shit about it uh, yeah a hundred percent from guys yeah for sure okay but like not why, why did you pause when i asked guys you can just say yeah freaking guys they're a bunch of jerks i don't know <laughs> You don't, I don't want to. I don't want because we're trying to like. I don't want to like put people to remove on, that. Yeah, and, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I don't. Okay. I like. I. But when is? But if it's true, I mean, you can't. Yeah, yeah, say, you can't right, like right, right, fix right. it for them if that's how they're right. going to be. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree with Sarah. Your responsibility. Like, bunch of guys, bunch of jerks. But. Whatever. I mean, 
so there was that anxiety and it was kind of fun because it was like with my mom, like my mom came to the hunt. So like we're- Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. She's awesome. Uh, and then, so that was just like a little 15 minute thing of like me being like, oh, I'm having an anxiety attack about this. And uh, then afterwards, Courtney Nicholson, do you know mm-hmm. Courtney with yeah. Freckles? Yeah. Um, so she actually filled her tag at, at camp. So then she came and stayed with me and we recorded a podcast about her experience shooting that deer and mm-hmm. um, what it meant to her, like what that experience meant. Um, and then I had another podcast with Sierra Ling Bell and a couple other girls. And I actually have a couple that I recorded, but um, I don't know. Maybe I just need to like kickstart it back into action. Yeah. It's just so much time to do it all by myself. So I think that it is a lot of time. Yeah. Hey. Um, <laughs> but well, we need to talk after that. I, I think the audience okay. though is there. <laughs> the audience is beyond ripe. Okay. The fruit. I hear you. Will spoil if someone doesn't do it pretty soon. Why yeah. not us? Why not us? Why not? Why not now? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. See, you are a good mentor. Look at you. You're no, mentoring the I shit am, out of us I right am now. I'm so full of it. <laughs> ask my wife. Don't believe a word he says. But no, it's just as someone who's interested in storytelling and the hunting and conservation and food space. Yeah. 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 I, mm-hmm. I seek out as many different perspectives and stories as I possibly can. And I, I hope that well, you guys. You gals, you women, you Well, hunters. thanks for having us on and like just giving <laughs> we'll us a like, space to all talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, yeah. did we talk about the thing that you were, you were putting a pin in? You know, I thought about it and I don't want to violate a really fun conversation with the downer <laughs> of that. So. Next time. I want to know what it was. I know I now. It. Okay. Now you have to just say it. It's the, uh, so I, so I've been in this for a long time. And occasionally people will come and say, how did you transition? How did you get started? How how did you build this? How did you that? And occasionally some women hunters in this space will come to me and we'll be visiting and da, da, da. And some of them I've known for quite a while. And uh, they bring up the idea of almost a sexuality context to why or how women get some further distance in this industry, if you want to call it industry. Mm -hmm. And if that's what they, if their goal is, I want to be somebody who has a TV show or I want to be whatever. You've got to be hot. Yeah. And like a really specific way. And they ask that. Look good in a bikini. And one, to me, it's like, stomach turning it's, it's it has i'm not saying that someone couldn't look in the way that some people you know build themselves to look uh and not be a serious storyteller but as a general rule often that becomes uh the mechanism the overarching by which, yeah story and yeah. then they say well why does nobody take me seriously and i don't have the heart to say well <laughs> You're selling it here. I mean, well, that, it's a, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. So that's what I was just saying. You know what? This is too fun of a conversation. Let's not even oh. go there because it, it only relates to the hunting space, hunting industry, media. Well, yeah. I know. And we can talk about that yeah. on some other point, too. Yeah. Or Boom. it's maybe even not worth 
it's not talking about. I, yeah, I think that all of us would probably say, and I think Nicole said this earlier, that um, everyone's entitled to their own experience, whatever they mm-hmm. want to make that. And so, yeah. if that's right. how they want to sell it, mm-hmm. then who am I to disparage them from doing that? Right. But that's not what I want my story around hunting to right. look like. And yeah. so, and. And I guess for me, it just strikes where more than once you get the question of, well, why does someone not take me as serious as they do so-and-so? And it's like, well, I don't know if you've looked in the mirror lately, but you, you are painting it in a way where you're emphasizing certain things in DM, in, in, in the process, whether knowing it or not knowing it de-emphasizes the quality of the story, the experience, the, all right, the things an, that we've just It becomes just an objectification, right? Yeah. And so I think that like when, I don't know, that's a huge that's cultural. Tough. I think sociologists call it a double bind when you. A what? A double bind when you, um, you kind of can't win for losing. Because okay. yeah. I mean, if someone's likely portraying themselves a certain way because society's told them that's what it takes to be successful and mm-hmm. they've gained a certain amount of success from it, yet it's it's detracting from their their other goals and mm-hmm. they're just kind of trapped by society at that point. Yeah. That's that's a even tough if they are really to be talented. In. You know um, and yeah. for me, I don't ever answer the question. I'm like, you know, I got a call I gotta get to because I don't want <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of friend am I, right? But But, I, but you know. there's no good answer for them either. Like you can't tell them, hey dress a little bit more dowdy and quit putting makeup on in the morning <laughs> and maybe like let your hair, you know, let your yeah. natural curls go. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I think that it's like, um, yeah, it is a double bind. I, and I, I don't know if it creates because a lot of our vision or view of things is created by what we consume and whether it's media or otherwise, does that then make it harder for people with sincere stories like, the three of you want to tell, does it create any hurdles to the space? Just because we are in this binary, you're male or female, you're left or right, you're liberal or conservative, you're whatever. And instantly that gets a a layer of veneer put over women that are trying to tell hunting stories. I have like a huge, uh, I don't like being in front of the camera, like, you know, and I think that like, if you get into like the space of where women are talking about like how they feel about themselves and like a physical or like a looks level, like you're never going to be good enough and you haven't been since you were, you know, eight or 10 years old. Like, um, I think it's, I think it's a bigger societal pressure for us to think about putting ourselves on stage than it is for like, I mean, like any, there are like big, giant, fat, ugly dudes who have hunting television shows that, you know, like it doesn't really work that way for women. When I see that imagery, um, my visceral reaction is, damn it. <laughs> I, I don't want to have to like look that put together in the backcountry. Like I just want to, yeah. you know, okay. like I don't okay. want that to be the standard that I have to like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, strive to. I just want to. Yeah, I no, want it's it to be incredible safe, that women can look like that. Yeah, getting up at four a.m. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, you know how it happens. 
They didn't woke up at 4 a.m. They woke up at 2 a.m. They come didn't come on, you, don't be so. You said that in all jest. I am sure. I don't know how that happened. We all know how that happened. Why do you think a lot of them wait until the next morning to go recover their deer? 2 a.m. Yeah, that, man. That, I, I wish we wouldn't. Even, I should have just stiff armed that. No, so, no, Nicole, we're not going to go there. The, the nice. The nice thing is for me, at least, as just like a person who hunts, like when I'm like away from thinking about the public portrayal of it, is that the animals don't care. They just don't care. And that makes me feel so good inside. That is so good to hear. They don't, they don't care. They just really don't. And for guys, you know, they don't care if you're overweight, if you got four chins, or they don't care if you, you know, you weren't the cool guy in high school. They don't really care. I like that. The 308 is the greatest. The animals don't care. (laughs) I'm going to get a t-shirt. Just makes everything else evaporate for me when I'm out there. The animals. Yeah. So it's true. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's the other side of like that media portion. It's like, man, we have a great story to tell, but look at all these other things that are like knocking at the door, right? you know, saying, Hey, like be prettier, be more put together, be all of these things. And so I think that like, there are a lot of women that have these really genuine stories to tell. And I see a lot of women, even on social media, like tripping over themselves, just trying to say, you know, Hey, I'm like, I don't want to put myself in the spotlight, but you know, I feel this way. And I think that like, that there's a much bigger hurdle for us to jump over just to even clearly like we've had yeah. we've been talking about this for what right. like 30 minutes now yeah <laughs> like um of just like saying okay yeah like this matters and like we can tell a good story and it doesn't have to be about you know who we are as women let's just tell the story that we have as a, as a collective experience yeah. and so like, yeah but it, we, we have a lot to, of we other don't things have to put lipstick on it yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Lindsay? We don't have to put lipstick on it. <laughs> cool. Well, I mean, it was easy for me. If you're born a white male in America, you are born with, and most of my audience is going to call me some sort of idiot, but you, you have no easier path or you're born further ahead than the rest of the crew if you were born a white male in America like I was. So the ability for me to say this is what I want to do is go tell hunting stories is way easier than it would be for someone who's female or someone who doesn't come from the cultural norm of the white male that is the predominant demographic in hunting. Um, so easy for me to tell the three of you, oh, yeah, go do that. Oh, yeah, this, what took you so long? Why aren't you doing that? No well, I'm glad fo- we talked about it because I yeah. think it kind of... It makes me really excited to pursue it. Yeah, actually. yeah me too. This conversation. It gives me some motivation. All right. So when the three of you it are shuts, stars... It shuts and, down those other and, like and voices the, in the back that say... The three of you take a, a, knock Joe Rogan off the, you know, <laughs> podcast <laughs> level. Okay, well, just... Whoa, hold we, your we, we, I can say it started right here, yeah. right in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, my gosh. That was special <laughs> thanks to... The three amigos. <laughs> Randy, <laughs> uh, well, I've kept the three of you very long, and I really appreciate you letting me impose on your time and your perspectives and your stories. Oh, it's a pleasure. We yeah. appreciate you giving we us the space to share. Yeah. yeah. Well, I. It's awesome you, to introduce you to my hunting partners. Yeah. I mean, you've known Sarah. 
Yeah, Sarah. But, I, Sarah interviewed me, and I I was sitting at home. I, st- I still remember when you called me that late afternoon. I, I, I don't know if you noticed, but I was in the middle of my afternoon nap. Oh. And I saw the <laughs> phone ring. I, you told me you were going to call Great. at a certain time. I'm like, oh, I forgot to set my alarm. And I tried to act like I was awake. <laughs> So, I'm really sorry. I love how the truth comes out. That's amazing. Uh, But then you were going bear hunting, and how mm, did it go? It didn't go well. I ended up in the hospital for a week. Oh, no. So, no, I have a weird... When was this? uh, In late May. I have a weird liver condition, and so I was not doing well. That's part of why I was power napping every day, trying to let my liver catch up well. Well, thank you for doing the interview. Well, it, it, was, it was a few yeah. days later when I ended up in the hospital, but, uh, oh, well. So the bear hunt didn't, the bear, Yogi and Boo Boo were just. I saw a bear today. Me. Did you? Yeah. Wow. Cool. Just black bear hanging out in the willows. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Out in the sage. It's kind of well, crazy. Huh. I don't know that I've seen any black bears lately. Yeah. First one I've seen. Oh, I saw a black bear a couple of weeks ago mm. when I was riding my horse. Well, anyhow, I I felt bad when I did the interview. I'm thinking to myself, I was so groggy and tired. She probably thought I was drunk or something. <laughs> and I can't even drink. It's good to me. <laughs> uh, so before we leave, where can people follow you if you want them to follow you or uh, otherwise? Uh, well, I think that the... the, the Big follow is TBD. <laughs> we'll have to come up with some branding. Okay. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I can be found I on Instagram, Lindsay Mulcair. It's M-U-L-C-A-R-E. And that's where you do all your professional photo- photography. Is there? Or do you have a special mm. page for that? Um, also TBD. Right now I do mostly weddings and portraits. So I okay. know that people would be super interested in. But I'll say this. Uh, Lindsay's an incredible lifestyle photographer. So if people are looking to change up their hunting photographers or people doing gear or a lifestyle, Lindsay's an incredible photographer and, um, she did incredible shots at our deer camp and I feel like you'd be an incredible asset to the hunting community in general. So I'll, ma- I'll make the yeah. shout out for you. Thanks. I, yeah. I'm really bad at advocating for myself. Yeah. That's why I have Nicole. <laughs> So I can be found on Instagram at S Jane Keller, uh, where I post life photos and commentary and my writing can be found on my woefully infrequently updated website. (laughs) Woefully Uh, infrequently updated. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's S Jane Keller.com. All right. And uh, occasionally you can read your columns with Meat Eater and elsewhere. Yeah, uh, occasionally. (laughs) High Country News, High Country News. Um, Where else do you write? Uh, I've written Smithsonian. I don't don't write for them frequently at this point, but yeah. Cool. Um, Well, you can find a lot of my writing at gearjunkie.com. Go to the hunt and fish section. Um, And then my Instagram is nkqualtieri. If you can just spell that on your own, I'll send you $100. I was going to say, you might want to spell that. <laughs> um, if you just type in NKQ on Instagram, I'm usually one of the top few. NKQ? Yeah, my okay. initials. All right. um, and yeah, I lately I've been 
riding my horse a lot and kind of getting prepped for hunting season. And hopefully Lindsay and I have always wanted to pack out with our horses. That's our so, goal for this year is cool. to pack out with our horses. Yeah. And so. I'd like to um, finally fill my elk tag this year. So that's mm-hmm. my big goal. Um, and yeah, so just been getting my horse ready and uh, I'm really excited for hunting season. So cool. Yeah. Well, I hope that when you start that podcast, I can come and sit in and listen on time and absolutely tell big stories. When you invite three guys, I want to be one of the All three right. guys Perfect. you invite for guests. You got it. To have this discussion about the. I'll, I'll write an article in yeah, the interim we can flip about, it around. Yeah. we need to get mm-hmm. over the these five, five topics the five that topics Nicole keeps that, talking about. Yeah, the five <laughs> topics. <laughs> we wish you'd stop. The five topics sports women need to get over. <laughs> I'm not sure what those will be. I feel like there would uh, be a long list of people uh, who'd want to participate. Uh, you know, uh, Complaining, okay. being yeah. cold. Being the, cold. <laughs> no, the top one would be, I really can't hear her. <laughs> okay? So... I, I I don't know how to say it, but you get to a certain age and you just, you can't hear a woman's voice. You do a lot of lip reading. Uh-huh, uh, yeah, uh-huh. So I, I, I could give you more than five. Did All you right. hear any of this podcast? I did. Okay, good. Uh, just I, checking. I, that, that's, that's why you look at, I get to run the modulation here for the volume and mine is set slightly higher than everybody else. Oh, good. Nice. So, yeah. 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 The power stays where it begins. There you go. Well, folks, before I say anything incriminating, uh, anything that is going to get me in further trouble, we're probably going to call it a wrap here, but I want to thank Nicole and Sarah and Lindsay for being here and for sponsoring a camp with 18 hunters uh, who just happen to be women. I think it's cool. I hope it's 36 this year. <laughs> Lord only knows. We'll see. Yeah. You know how many people are going to get a hold of you now, Nicole, and say, I hope how so. Do I get in on Reach that? Reach out. Right. Yeah, if if I can't take you hunting, then we can connect you with someone that can. Okay, you just like, said reach out. How are they going to reach out? My Instagram. Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Yeah. NKQ. Is that what you said it was? Yeah, I mean, and you can find my name on Gear Junkie. If Gear you're Junkie. good on the internet, I'm sure you You'll can find you'll find her. <laughs> all right. Well, I hope all of you have a great hunting season. You too, Randy. Uh, you too. Look forward to Thank hearing you. and reading the stories. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>